I love the Fantastic Four. I loved the Fantastic Four when I was a kid. Um, because to me, they were like the most realistic characters that I could identify with. They were always fighting with each other. And it wasn't really so much about characters fighting these supervillains as much as they were just fighting each other's uh, uh, fighting. Their personalities were fighting against each other, trying to figure out how to do something the right way and together as a team. back to a brand new episode of not a bomb podcast this is the movie podcast where we go back and talk about the movies that bombed at the box office and possibly didn't get any love from the critics brad this is the last film officially of comic book month right so it's your pick it is and i picked a doozy i picked 2015's the fantastic four or fan Four stick. Fan four stick (laughs) yeah uh so we couldn't do a podcast about the fantastic four without bringing our own fantastic four together. So we, we had to go and find a couple of guests. Um, Brad, you, you want to introduce them? Yeah. So we have Eric, uh, from the VHS files. He's our, uh, he's our Sue storm. He's, he's the prettiest. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not a lie. Um, yeah. and then we have <laughs> fan favorites, uh, Jose, Jose, how are you, sir? I'm good. Please don't make me say fant four stick. Yeah. <laughs> fant four stick. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, Am I the thing? Oh, I don't know. Um, oh, no, I'm the torch. Flame on. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yes. Flame on. Flame there you on. go. There you go. <laughs> well, then that, that you're, leaves. You're uh, allowed to say that. You're, that yep. Brad and I yes. are, are fighting for uh, Ben and uh, Reed. So we'll figure that out as we go. You've got the glasses. You've. I well, got the gray streak this, right there. Yeah, I do. There you go. I guess I'm I Reed Richards. Got a read here. Okay, cool. Right. Yeah. I guess I'm the thing. Clobbering time, Brad. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I'm curious. So both of you, when we were kind of putting the list of movies out together and we were talking about comic book movies, both of you kind of rushed to talk about Fantastic Four. So I want to start with you, Eric. I know you love comic books as much as we do. Do you, do you have like a love for this particular property itself? I do. I, I love the Fantastic Four, and uh, I've always been devastated by the results of their movies, and uh, that's why I didn't watch this one until I had a good reason to. You guys gave me a reason to to watch it, uh, and I just I was curious, you know. Okay, but I, I I love the characters near and dear to my heart for sure. Like grew up reading them, all that stuff. Yeah, definitely. awesome. Okay, how about you, Jose? Is it uh, a movie thing? Is it a comic book thing? Is it just another one of these films that you saw and you love? So um, actually with regards to the movie, yeah, I, I saw it and not to give away my feelings on it. Uh, I thought it was worth re- definitely worth revisiting. Um, I did not read it growing up. I remember the various te- uh, animated series. I actually own a couple of those sets. I love those, uh, yeah, those cartoons. They're amazing. Um, I really more was like a Hulk, like ambush bug, kind of Howard the Duck reader mm-hmm. in terms of comics. Um, but I did read a couple of the Fantastic Four comics um, 
but they've made so di- so many different iterations. Like I can't keep it all together. So, oh, okay. but, I mean, they do that with every series, but Fantastic Four has had a lot, right? So some wild places. Yeah, it does. Um, and the, in the spinoff stuff that they've done um, as well it, is crazy too. There's there's some favorites out there of mine. But Brad, what, what about you on this one? Not for me. Uh, Fantastic Four is it's not for me. I I'm not a big cosmic guy. So anything that is more science related and space related, I'm just not into. Silver Surfer, Fantastic Four, Hulk, all that stuff just doesn't speak to me. Uh, what does speak to you? Uh, the X-Men. X-Men mainly. Yeah. Okay. So it's, I guess it's just an easier path to, yeah, we were just born that way. You know, like <laughs> give me your social commentary that way. Uh, what, why not the Fantastic Four? I mean, I, I know you're a huge X-Men one. What, I mean, is it, you just never I, I, dipped your toes into it? No, no, I guess not. And, and none of the characters really, their powers never really spoke to me. I mean, one guy's stretchy. Uh, another lady can turn invisible and make a, a bubble. I guess the human torch is kind of cool, but there's other people who turn into fire. A lot and, of fire characters. Out yeah, there. a lot of fire characters. And the thing yeah. is, just I, I I think the thing is like just not not a cool character at all. So what? Now see, Man. <laughs> see yeah, that, we're gonna differ on that. I mean, he's a beloved character. He, yes, he hasn't. If your most of your experience is in the movies, then I to, I can see why you yes, feel that. Yes, it's one hundred percent the movies. Yeah. So you did you never collected like the Marvel two in one because uh, I think that was that was the series where the thing was in most of those issues, if not all of them. Uh, see, I, I was I was a big Ben Grimm fan because I've I've always loved the Fantastic Four, but there was a I think it was called Marvel two in one, and that's where the thing would uh, kind of had his own series for the most part, and there's some great right. stories in there. But yeah, I've I've been a huge fan of the Fantastic Four, even through the Future Foundation days. Yeah, uh, which I wasn't a big fan of where they went in that comic, but I, I still kind of liked it, and I liked the fact that it it ended up being sort of its own thing, and it kind of came back to the Fantastic Four. But uh, I've I'm always excited when I hear about a Fantastic Four property, like anytime they announce it or these rumors. Um, especially they've been twirling around since, you know, Dr. Strange, et cetera. I mean, I, I literally with this, this latest Dr. Strange film, when there's a character that shows up, I just audible gasp and, and screamed, you know, like a six year old schoolgirl. I was so excited. Uh, but, but that's, that's just my love of these characters, which kind of dovetails into some feedback that we got, Brad, specifically about, um, I guess getting excited about movies, right? Yeah, yeah. So this comes from Ben, and this is for we'll we'll open it up to the floor. Hey, okay. duders, I keep this one short. I will keep this one short and sweet. What was the most excited you have ever been for a movie? Thanks, Ben. I will go first. Okay, shoot. It was Episode One, uh, Star Wars: The Phantom Menace. It was the first new Star Wars film I was able to see in the theater, um, and I saw it on a Friday. I saw it on a. I saw it twice on Saturday and then I saw it again on Sunday. So I saw it four times the opening weekend, <laughs> saw it three more times in its run for wow. a grand total of seven times. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, even then I, I kind of saw the flaws of that movie, but I think the highs of, of that one are so high that it kind of makes it worth sitting through some of the uh, trade embargo stuff and the <laughs> quasi That was my uh, favorite stuff. What are you yeah, talking about? Yeah, you know, and, uh, 
quasi like racial stuff. But yeah, I, I, you know, growing up as a Star Wars kid, wanting to see something new from Star Wars. And of course, the marketing blitz was all over the place. Like I couldn't go two steps without Star Wars hitting me in the uh, and I forget what movie it was that they played the trailer before. But I remember going and watching the trailer in front of something and immediately leaving and not wa- not watching the movie. Just watch the trailer and left. Um, so, yeah, that was a heck of a trailer was, for episode yeah, one. I'll the very have to first figure one. out what what trailer that well, what movie that was attached to. OK, what about what about you, Jose? Uh, I can remember as a kid, um, we were going to go see The Empire Strikes Back. So this is also Star Wars related. Um I was sick as a dog and my parents were like, you have to stay home. And I was like, nope. I jumped in the car and was like, you can't make me stay home. And I went, uh, I had a fever, but it was amazing. I love that movie. Was the only prescription was more Star Wars? (laughs) More popcorn. (laughs) More popcorn. Okay. (laughs) Okay, Eric, can you remember sort of a, a film that you just were so hyped about and you had never been that excited for a film? Uh, gosh, I, I think I was really excited for Last Crusade as a kid because I really watched a lot of Indiana Jones and uh, I feel a lot of hype for I think I was pretty hyped for uh, Jurassic Park as well. When that mm. one. Oh, OK. The, the very first Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah. I The marketing for that was so good and like so mysterious. You just wanted to see dinosaurs like live dinosaurs. That was that was a pretty big one for me, I think. Okay. Uh, I I would say Star I can't underestimate how much frenzy there was around Star Wars, especially Empire Strikes Back to Return of the Jedi. I mean, I mean, the fact that stars Star Wars itself was just a genre defining film changed everything, right? Right. You were you were so excited about Empire Strikes Back. This is sort of pre internet that we know today. Um, there, There weren't books out there. A lot of people compare, you know, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, stuff like that. And to me, it's those books and that story existed already. So if you'd read the books or you're a fan of sort of the core legend, whatever the movie was going to bring to the table, you were going to be familiar with it. The mystery about The Empire Strikes Back. I I mean, you were just going to fanzines like Starlog and stuff like that, just trying to figure out, like, what's the new Star Wars film? And as much as Empire Strikes Back, everybody was going nuts over, I just don't think I can even remember a cultural zeitgeist the way after Empire Strikes Back and they dropped the knowledge that Darth Vader is Luke's father and they ended on a cliffhanger. (laughs) Right. And when you see the revenge of the Jedi poster and you're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? And and you would just talk with your friends for days. Like, how is this going to? you know, turn out. And then when they changed the poster from revenge of the Jedi, to return of the Jedi, well, I'd started a whole new fever. Right. <laughs> and, and I remember specifically, uh, my sister had taken me to the mall cinema in Wichita, Kansas. And the, the, the line for the first showing, she took me out of school to see it. I mean, it was around the block. Right. And you could get your return of the I mean, Jedi. What else are you going to do in Wichita, Kansas? Oh, shut your mouth. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember her getting state. me this uh, return of the Jedi, like official program guide with, you know, things about the film. And she wouldn't let me read it and put it in the car until we saw the film first. But standing in line for return of the Jedi and talking with a ton of just, you know, Star Wars fans 
about what could possibly happen after you know the events of Empire Strike Back was was just ridiculous. And then more recently, if if I thought about something I was super hyped about, it had to be Maverick Top Gun because oh my god oh, when they yes. when they announced when I saw that first trailer years ago, you know and. <laughs> Oh, I, I lost my shit. And then the uh, pandemic you've happened. Had to wait. Yeah, yeah, you've had to wait a long time for it. Yeah. And uh, that that was rough to get there. But man, is it worth it? And it, and it looks like it may regain the top spot this week. Um, it's close. Is, I, I, might it's close. I think they might be a tie. Yeah, between it and Elvis, which is yeah. uh, which is interesting. When has that happened before? <clears throat> I don't know. But you know what? <laughs> Tom Cruise can make it happen. And for everyone yelling at the podcast, <laughs> it was Meet Joe Black was the movie bef- that showed the trailer. Oh, you didn't say huh. for meet Joe Black. Uh, no. So actually I was, Black. I was actually the smart one in that one. You didn't stick Oh, around it's a Joe good. Black. Oh, come it's, on. It's okay. Jose. It's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, <clears throat> speaking that you, the one, you, that's the one where he, where he speaks with the Jamaican ladies dialect, right? Is that meet Joe Black? Oh, no, that's uh, where Brad Pitt. He died. He's yeah. Uh, he gets, which one is the one where he channels, uh, what does anyone know what I'm talking about? <laughs> he's, he's like a Jamaican ghost. Oh yeah, he, yeah, he like yeah. He, Whoopi Goldberg. No, no, I, I'll find Sam it. Sorry. <laughs> I was like you. Sorry. I am lost. Off, yeah, I'm, I'm right, gonna find it. I'm gonna have to Google Jamaican woman. We're, we're so gonna, Troy, when you yeah, Troy, when you left Jedi, were you like, huh, brothers and sister? No, that was I, my big like. It, I, I left Jedi and immediately went to go buy all the action figures. Um, it it was impressive. <laughs> now later in New Year's, you're like, ooh, brother and sister, didn't they kiss in one of the film? But you know what? Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's get back to Fantastic Four. So I I don't know, but I figure we we've been kind of doing this before we jump into the film. We talk a little bit about the source material. So I thought we would start with like, who is the Fantastic Four? So just a little bit of background and uh, Eric, if, if you're super familiar, jump into, because I, kn- I know you like the comic history, but it was a Marvel superhero team that debuted in November 1961, Fantastic Four number one. It was the first superhero team created by artist and co-plotter Jack Kirby and editor co-plotter Stan Lee. Now there's a lot of controversy on who came up with what. We won't get into it, but those are usually the two names that are associated with this property. The Fantastic Four was kind of born um, as a response to the success of DC's Justice League of America. So uh, Marvel at the time just didn't have you know something to kind of combat that, and JLA was was super successful. And the whole origin of Fantastic Four is they gain their superpowers after exposure to cosmic rays during a scientific mission to outer space. There are four people in the Fantastic Four, duh, right? Mr. Fantastic, Reed Richards, Invisible Woman, Sue Storm, the Human Torch, Johnny Storm, so brother and sister there, and the thing. Do they kiss? Ben Grimm, no, they don't kiss, so they don't pull the Star Wars thing. Kind of amazing they haven't kissed. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) A long time, I mean, they've done... Well, uh, and and Eric, since you're familiar with the comic, do you have uh, a favorite Fantastic Four villain? The thing about the Fantastic Four, and and I'll I'll just say this: why I love the, that property so much is it's not just the four of them; it's really the universe that surrounds the Fantastic Four, all the villains, um, really all the people that are helping them out through the storylines. I find the Fantastic Four to be one of the greatest comic book series just simply because of the scope of the universe and the things that they tackle 
and also the new characters that come out of that series. But I also feel like it has some pretty unique and awesome villains, and it and it has one of my favorite villains of all time. But Eric, what what are some of your favorite Fantastic Four villains or or thing people they've come up against? Well, I mean, not to be obvious, but Doctor Doom is one of the greatest comic book villains. Period. Probably yes. top three, right? I yeah, mean, absolutely. Uh, so, not going a whole lot further than that, like that's such an underutilized aspect of every film they've attempted to make. You know what I mean? Is they have the best. I, I mean, this is like Joker, Dr. Do- like, uh, you know, and yeah, you get into, you nail doom or set up doom maybe. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, you know, you can go to like uh Annihilus and, you know, uh, 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 Galactus and get into like the real cosmic stuff. But uh, man, Dr. Doom. I mean, that's where it's at. I, I agree. He's the best. He's he's as important as any of them. Like, yeah, he, them. to me, you can't do Fantastic Four without a Victor Von Doom. Yeah. I, I mean, and you're absolutely right. You have to nail that as much as you nail the Fantastic Four. Yeah, he's the other side of the coin for Reed, you know. A hundred percent. You mentioned Annihilus. So Annihilus came from the negative zone. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty fat. Galactus. And so we also get Silver Surfer, Herald of the Galactus. Um some people are being introduced to one villain now as a result of the Loki series, which is King the Conqueror. Sure. Uh, Molecule Man is another big yeah. one. Psycho Man. Now, Psycho Man came from the microverse. The cool thing about Fantastic Four is all the universes yeah. that they go yeah. in and out of, which are a lot of fun. The scope is massive. It know? is. They've, yeah. And they and because of that, they interact with everybody in the universe, like the Marvel universe yes. as well, which is fun. So they're always, you know teaming up and interacting with different characters. Now, do you, do you know the very first enemy of the fantastic four? Uh, is that the mole man? Mole man. Yep. That's yeah. right. And another one that is getting, re- I guarantee it's coming up here very shortly in the Marvel universe. Now he starts as sort of a rivalry, um, simply because he's in love with Sue storm, but you get Namor. Right, oh, sure. Prince yeah. Namor. So he kind of goes back and forth between a villain, but also being a good guy. Um, I think it's Clert, K-L-R-T is how you spell it. But he's the super scroll. He was the one that was created that has all four powers of the Fantastic Four. Um, and, and those are the big ones that I wrote down real quick that I just remember from some of the comic series. But uh, Doom, he just recently had like a really good short run. I think it was six or eight comics that's really good. But anything with Doom in it, I'm, I'm going to buy uh, because you, you're right, Eric. He's to me is as fascinating as Fantastic Four. Um, Brad, Jose, any of these characters outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe are you familiar with? The uh, Doom, I would agree, is like Joker, Magneto, Doctor Doom. Yeah, those three in that yeah. I- any order you want to do, I, I will take those. And he's right there with Magneto and Joker. Okay. Um, I know. I mean, I'm a fan of the sort of a fan <laughs> we'll get to that later of the tim story fantastic fours but they introduced um alicia and uh she's connected to the puppet master yeah so there's that villain um yeah right but but you know what i love to what i love about the fantastic four and especially their you know stanley and jack kirby's twist on it is you know they saw how basically there were separate comics and they put them together in the in the justice league and they were like we're not going to do that we're going to create our own super team of superheroes, but we're also going to make them 
realistic. We're going to give them like, you know, a family dynamic. And they're also not going to have secret identities. You know, that was they're a big be deal. Like yeah. Openly like super heroic, I guess the word is. Um, but they were going to be known to everybody. And that that twist really set it apart from the Justice League. And I think that probably drew a lot of people to it. Like, oh, like superheroes in public. What's that like? Let's read it. You know? Yeah, it's a whole and different Kirby dynamic, right? Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And they're they're like celebrities, which yeah. adds kind of a layer of, you know, something different for a hero, you know, not not sneaking around all the time. They're they're on the cover of newspapers and you know doing interviews and appearances and things you know it's it's a weird layer to put into a superhero film because you're always thinking of like the clark kent superman dynamic and they are interesting the the bruce wayne batman like how does somebody deal with that secret identity coming at that that concept in an entirely unique way where it's like there is no secret identity I'm, we're just going to be out there here's who we are it, again, it stands out versus all the other superheroes in the comic runs and everything else. Now, this wasn't the first Fantastic Four film, but let's go back in time to 2015. And Brad, uh, when this thing was released, how did it do from a box office and critical perspective? Yeah, so originally the budget was 120. Um, there were some reshoots in the early uh, 2015, January. Push the budget up to 155. Uh, domestically, it grosses 56 million dollars, which is the lowest domestic uh, return for a Fantastic Four movie. Um, internationally, it does 111 for a worldwide total of 167. Um, yeah, Ouch. not uh, not great. But uh, opening weekend, <clears throat> it makes 25 million dollars. It comes in number two. And it's behind Troy's boyfriend, Mr. Tom Cruise, with uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Um, that oh. movie made a lot of money and kind of did a, I mean, that was like the summer. A movie did a lot that summer. Yeah, um, it, it was kind of the big lot. hit. Um, but Fantastic Four, like I said, was number two. <laughs> Here we go. Critical response. Um, <laughs> Fantastic Four, or Fan Four Stick, sits at right. a 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ouch. Hit an eighteen percent with the audience. Ooh, those are those are bad. Those are some of the lowest scores we've done uh, on this podcast in the hundred and seven episodes <laughs> we've done. And that's a lot of people voting. That's not. This isn't one of those films that just kind of sits on the edge of obscurity. hundred thousand, yeah, over hundred thousand reviews, mm -hmm. um, and over two hundred and sixty-two critical reviews. Huh. But Troy. We don't care about those critics. No. <laughs> we only care about one website. We do. That is movieguide.org. And if you're not familiar with movieguide.org, it is a Christian website which uh, judges things on its content and whether or not it's Christian-like or if it is, uh, I don't know, hellish. But And the rating um, scale wait, goes from I what, Brad? Negative four to plus four. Okay. So what is go. everybody's guess? Where does Fantastic Four sit? On a negative scale of one. how Christian it is or how yes. good it is? Oh, on how, how Christian, Christian it is. Yeah, so it's negative four being the lowest, mm. plus four being the highest. Yeah, negative four is basically like, you know, a sex romp with violence. And then four is like <laughs> the Ten Commandments, the holiest of, like, everybody needs to see it. I think it's a negative one. I'm going to say okay. negative one. I'm going negative three. Ooh, 
Troy. Yeah. Is it really? Is it really? I'm trying to think what they. There's nothing too bad in it as far as behavior goes. You'd be surprised what they ding it for. Uh, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have no idea. I'll say uh, negative one. Okay. It is a negative one. Oh, <clears throat> wow. So, so here is the breakdown of content. And spoilers ahead, by the way. <laughs> uh, light humanist environmentalist worldview as the older mentor of the young heroes refers to evolution. First problem. That's where I thought it was going to go negative three between that and the exploding heads. I'm like, it's got to be a negative three. So, okay. The the mentor and the villain slash antagonist talk a couple of times in vague, politically correct terms about mankind destroying the earth, specifically in the context of needing to find other resources, including other sources of energy. Talk up the planet in another dimension, which is a big no, no. Some strong moral elements about taking care of one's brother slash friends and stopping hate-filled villains. But two male heroes uh, come from dysfunctional families. So is that a ding? <laughs> it gets a ding for that? I, I, I guess so. Okay. 14 obscenities. filled villains. <laughs> including some S-words, one GD, uh, and six light obscenities, strong violence, which there's not strong violence in this movie. Oh, there is the, at the end. Um, yeah. The most intense is which a villain makes people's bodies explode, but most of them are in suits and what blood bloody images occur are from a distance characters. A character apparently falls in some green lava from a high height. He doesn't apparently fall. He falls. <laughs> like, it's not apparent. Uh, energy does. beam sucks plants. That's a weird sentence. (laughs) Other people into another, another planet located in another dimension, explosives, villains with superpowers causes two men's faces to be damaged or drained of life character made of rocks. Those large tank around character trapped under rocks. (laughs) People's bodies are changed, etc. No sex, but some light flirting. Brief upper male nudity, <laughs> alcohol Whoa. use, no smoking or drugs, and rebellious n- villain out for revenge. Mm. Teachers mock students, <laughs> <laughs> and older brother bill- bullies younger brother in one scene, saying it's clobbering time. Yeah, Chet Hanks. <laughs> God damn it! Three the younger in. brother. I know. You're like God. I know where this movie's going. Chet's in this movie, and a younger <laughs> brother picks up the phrase when he becomes a hero later fighting villain hmm. there it is wow. yeah you know, violence uh, is you know, a ding chet's another another white guy doing a patois but oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> i i googled it just so you guys know it was meet joe black uh there's oh, a scene what? here where uh where brad pitt talks to a woman and she's he's channeling her sister in some oh, way oh okay and he uh and he <laughs> He says you're it's making a, me crazy. It's not a scene yeah. you would see in a film these days. Uh, okay, I'll huh. just put it that way. Well, now I need to go back and watch Meet Joe. Yeah. It's pretty. It's, yeah, it's not aged well. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> and be sure to look up some Chet Hanks patois videos. Oh god. Okay. okay. Oh my god. Well, okay. I can't believe he's descended from Tom Hanks. Know, it, it scares me. <laughs> Other films you could have seen in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 33, The Gift. To the four, the yeah. The re, not the, not the one with Katie Holmes. The other one, um, isn't that Joel Jared? Edgerton? Or is it Jason yes. Bateman was in that? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. let's see what else we got. That's notable here. Uh, 
it says Ricky in the Flash. I don't know what that is, but it made Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. Okay, that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. She's the rock star. Uh, the man from Uncle, previous episode. Uh, Army Hammer, probably his best movie. Yeah, Ugh. probably his. Yeah, we won't see him anymore. A Walk in the Woods. <laughs> uh, oh, Straight Out of Compton is also the big one that month. Ooh, um, and Ever- Everest. That movie Everest made $230 million. Everest. People like snow movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I own that on Blu-ray in 3D. Of course, in 3D. Yeah, there you yes, go. You do. Uh, <laughs> other, other notable film, I just want to say that probably will be on this show at one point, American Ultra and Hitman Agent 47. Oh. <laughs> Loved Yikes. Hitman Agent 47. Yes, you did. Yes, you, did. <laughs> you have it in 3D. The action was great. And American <laughs> Ultra actually was pretty good, except that it's written by one Max Landis. Mm. Mm. So, Eric, on the VHS Files podcast, you like to uh, take the group back in time to a specific year. Do you do you have anything prepared for 2015 in, for uh, us? Yeah, yeah. I had to do some digging to get some <laughs> info on, on way, all the way back in 2015. But okay, I don't I've have any fancy. Things. I don't have any fancy music for you. Brad was going to sing, can but we, I don't. Can you? Brad's going to sing it. Is that what you said? Uh, sorry, I I was taking no? a drink. What? What? I don't know. <laughs> You're breaking. I can't hear. What? All right. It, the music usually gets me moving, but uh, uh, well, uh, Troy. In 2015, scientists from the Large Hadron Collider announced uh, the discovery of a new particle called the pentaquark. You guys oh. remember that from 2015? No, don't. I uh, miss that. Did you guys hear about the scientist from there that was arrested? No. It okay. turns out he's a mass murderer. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Harrison Ford crash landed his 40s era aeroplane on an LA golf course in 2015. What? Uh, that's the that? joke, right? That's the joke, right? No, no, no. That's not the joke. You guys, you guys know why hipsters love Harrison Ford? It's uh, it's because he's indie. <laughs> uh, I love these. Do <laughs> uh, you guys remember the video that went viral of Ariana Grande at a donut shop where she was uh, licking the donuts? Yeah. I yes. we've, all been, we've all been there. Let's not judge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she had to apologize. Um, actually, they have a store now that uh, only sells bagels and donuts. It's called Whole Foods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and finally, uh, Google rebranded in 2015 with their new sans serif treatment and the uh, G symbol. Uh, you guys uh, know why fish don't use Google? They're they're scared of the net. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll give you that one. That was funny. That was Bravo. that one was Bravo. funny. A little look back. I, I can just listen. To it. I, like, oh, God, I love those. That's my favorite part of that show. My daughter and I what? will sit there and go through, I'm like, glad someone Bazooka Joe with all those, like, puns and stuff. Oh, we love that stuff. And and you're like a walking version of it, Eric. I love it. Uh, by the way, Thanks. was there a hint that Harrison Ford might have been drunk when he was flying? Wait, I'm not starting probably rumors. High. I'm just saying. He was, he was probably there high. There is now. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you just started it. He was high at first. Yeah. But then he came down anyway also, no- also, also notably uh troy my beloved uk wildcats went 38 and one that year in basketball mm. losing to wisconsin in the final four game yay sports teams yeah. um you know that, that, it was weird to me in my brain this movie was older like oh i felt the same way too looking like, at yeah. I, I felt like yeah it came out a while ago i mean it did but 
I mean, just to think that this came out at a point where we were already getting to Age of Ultron. Like, it feels like this is a a, a move, like a, a superhero movie that was like pre MCU or something. Like, in in my memory, or or at least early MCU. But it's it's you know we already had Avengers in 2012 yeah. before this thing. I mean, for this to get so many things wrong, <laughs> I it just blows me away. Well, I, I guess are, are we. I'm jumping the gun. No, in context, I, I think to keep so today, Marvel has kind of brought everything back, uh, and and even its Spider-Man universe, it's kind of work. It's trying to work with Sony, but you know, 2015 was the era that uh, 20th Century Fox was trying to do a piece of it. Um, you 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 kind of had the MCU proper that it is today, but then Sony's doing their Spider-Man stuff. So the the Marvel stuff is all disjointed now. It's all coming together with TV shows. I, I really think it's an interesting choice what 20th Century Fox was trying to do with this property, given some of the influences and stuff um, from the X-Men franchise that they had, et cetera. But Jose, I thought I would turn it over to you because one of the things we talk about right before we get to the thoughts of the film is we talk about the people who are behind the camera, you know, kind of making the magic happen and in front of the camera. So I want to start with behind the camera. And um, there's, a, there's a very controversial director uh, kind of leading the charge here. And I thought we would kind of start there and, and maybe talk about the folks that uh, helped bring this new iteration of fantastic four to light. So I'm going to leave, <clears throat> I'm going to leave the director um, for the last. Okay. <laughs> um, so let's start with some producers there. There are eight total producers. A couple of the notable ones obviously are Stanley. He's the EP always is. Um, he does not have a cameo in this. Um, unfortunately, he said, no, he said, no, <laughs> He declined. Did he? Yeah, he declined. He did. Apparently, the the lore goes that he sent a letter to Josh Trank asking if he was okay um, when it uh, when things were going south. Anyway, um, Simon Kinberg is one of the producers. He's one of my vaunted like producer people. If I see his name on something, I'm in the seat. Um, he he can be hit or miss sometimes. Um, you know he uh, he his. When he was at Columbia University Film School, he was actually writing scripts and treatments and selling them. One of them, one of his thesis projects was Mr. was the basis for what eventually became Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Um, Kinberg is a very well-known um, script doctor. Uh, the, here's some of the movies he's been a script doctor on. Um, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, uh, Night at the Museum, Date Night, Night and Day, Sherlock Holmes, Abraham Lincoln, um, Vampire Hunter, Edge of Tomorrow, um, and he is a producer. He's known mainly for the X-Men movies, uh, so we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, Apocalypse, I think. Um, uh, what was the other one? Dark Phoenix, Dark which Phoenix. he actually directed. He also shepherded uh, some of the television projects, the, uh, uh, Fox's The Gifted, Legion, um, and, you know, his notable genre projects have been Jumper, Elysium, um, The Martian, the Deadpool movies. So he's very much in the genre um, and he is like a super producer, basically. Um, Did he also direct the 350 or 355 or whatever it is? So that was his most recent. Um, he wrote and directed the 355, which I loved because I just love watching women kick ass. Uh, so it was kind of fun. It was good. Uh, Kinberg's going to figure later into this story because as as i just told you he's a script doctor and when things started to go south here he kind of jumped in 
Um, the other producer is uh, Matthew Vaughn. He's a, a superstar British writer, director, producer, produced Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, uh, Harry Harry Brown, Eddie and the Eagle, Rocket Man, directed uh, Layer Cake, uh, which arguably shot Daniel Craig to fame yes. or to mainstream notice at a minimum, at least, um, directed Stardust, um, as well as uh, Kick-Ass, The Kingsman Films. So he is, uh, his company is called Marv. Uh, so he's a super producer as well. Um, Hutch Parker is another one. He also helps to produce a lot of the Marvel comic book movies. Uh, the director of photography is Matthew Jensen. He uh, was actually the director of photography on Josh Trank's Chronicle. Um, cut his teeth on a lot of television shows. So like Numbers, CSI, uh, Sleeper Cell. His most notable work was on um, Alan Ball's True Blood. Uh, he is the DP for both of the Wonder Woman films. Um, he also still stays in TV. He's uh, been the DP for several episodes of Game of Thrones, Ray Donovan, Patty Jenkins' I Am the Knight, and he's a big proponent of uh, high-definition capture. He uses mainly the Aerie Alexa camera, which is fantastic, but he's also dabbled in like the Panavision Genesis and the Red Epic Dragon. Uh, the Red Epic, Epic Dragon, interestingly enough, I think Fincher, if I remember this correctly, tested out the prototype for that on the Girl with the Dragon tattoo. Um, so I, I'm big into like cinematography and just the whole... HD capture just changed everything. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, music is by Marco Beltrami. He has like 142 credits to his uh, resume. He scores mainly genre films and thrillers. So, you know, his scores for Scream. Um, he seemed to have been a sort of a Miramax uh, in-house sort of composer. He did like Dracula 2000, Mimic, uh, The Crow, Blade 2, Hellboy. Um, and he also has an assist here from Philip Glass, who's a very classical composer. Um, he did the score for Candyman. I think most people would know that. Uh, production designer is Chris Seegers. He mainly has done dramatic movies. And as we find often, production designers tend to uh, work with directors that they have a language with. So he's done a ton of Tony Scott movies. Uh, Domino, Deja Vu, Man on Fire, Taking a Pelham 123, Unstoppable. Um and then other drama movies, uh, Transcendence, Deepwater Horizon, The Rum Diary. Uh, his genre picks have included episodes for Raised by Wolves, the HBO Max uh, Ridley Scott series, Alien Covenant, and then the newest Paramount Plus uh, sci-fi film, In Infinite, which I didn't get to see. It was mm -hmm. a time travel thing with Mark, Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. yeah, I didn't hear great things yeah. about it, but... <laughs> I did not either. <laughs> uh, visual effects supervisor is James Price, and the movie relies on a bunch of different effects houses. They keep it keep the budget down, although 150 million is still a lot. We have uh, Otoy, um, moving picture company, Pixmoto, Weta Digital, yay, love my Kiwis, uh, Rodeo FX, and then um, Hydrolox or Hydraulics. I don't know how you pronounce it. That's the Strauser Brothers outfit. They directed Alien versus Predator Requiem. Mm -hmm. mm which I love. Um, <laughs> uh, writer credits are basically Jeremy Slater. So Slater is actually a friend of Josh Trank's, and he is notable for writing Death Note, uh, a movie called Pet, which is still on my prime list, but I've never watched. Uh, the Lazarus Effect, that was a Bloomhouse thriller. Uh, he developed and created the following series, one of which I know is Troy's favorite, um, 
Umbrella Academy, The Exorcist. He was the showrunner for The Exorcist. And then Moon Knight, which is Troy's favorite show. Stupid show. (laughs) Dumb show. I love that character, Um, but oh my God. (laughs) And then uh, Simon Kinberg is also credited with writing, as we'll definitely get into. And then, of course, Josh Trank himself. And now we get to directors, although there's a really odd credit on IMDb. They're crediting editor... um, uh, God, what is his name? Yikes. Uh, why do I not have this here? I'm so sorry. Anyway, there was an editor who stepped in to try to like rejigger everything yeah. with their reshoots. Um, he is the editor of like Avatar, all these other action films as well. Um, very prolific editor. And he is credited as a, uh, as a director here, Rifkin. primarily because yeah, we- with all the reshoots, he cut it all together and essentially, the, they credit him as being the person who actually wrote it. Um, Stephen which is e. a Rifkin. Crazy. That's it, Stephen Rifkin. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we get to Josh Trank. So, uh, where do I start with Josh Trank? I'll try to be really quick so that it's not too long. Um, but basically, Josh Trank, you know, he grew up. He grew up in Los Angeles, Beverly Hills. I think his uh, father was a document documentarian. His mother was a school teacher. And he always dreamed about being the next Steven Spielberg or trying to put Steven Spielberg to shame. So his aim was always to, you know, get into the movies and make a movie. And one of his goals was to make a movie by 27, right? So he starts out, he starts out by basically, you know, doing like menial uh, movie jobs. He knew Amy Heckerling. Uh, the Clueless director. He was familiar with Jim Valley, who uh, was a producer for Arrested Development. So he's doing these little jobs there. Um, he never actually really went to film school. He went to photography school and learned sort of like Adobe and digital. And he put he cobbled together a short called uh, A Stabbing at Leia, at Leia's. It, I don't know if any of you have seen this. It's mm. pretty crazy. But this is the the viral YouTube clip that sort of brought him to fame. So it's titled... A Stabbing at Leia, um, uncensored, and what it purports to be is sort of like a found footage clip of a house party. And in the middle of this house party, two of the people start having a lightsaber battle. And somebody gets killed with the lightsaber, and then the police come and the whole thing gets broken up. And that sort of put him on the map. I mean, he claims that almost, you know, Overnight, there was 300,000 views. People were emailing him, are you in LA? Can you do stuff for us? And sort of that's how he got his kind of like foothold into into the industry. He ended up doing some webisodes for Spike TV for something called The Kill Point, which I never saw. Apparently it's a bank heist movie or series of episodes with Mark Wahlberg and John Leguizamo, another one of Troy's favorite actors. (sighs) And... um, but he was never really credited for it because uh, at the time, and then shortly after, there was going to there was a huge battle over residuals for for internet uh, created content and how that works out with everything. Um, but they didn't really credit him on it because they wanted to get around loopholes and and union issues. Um, so while he's also doing this, he's performing in sort of like a a comedy troupe called Sit and Spin. Um, and then eventually he gets this idea for Chronicle, which was, you know, his first movie. Um, 
Has anybody seen that? Oh, yeah. Love Chronicle. Okay. I actually haven't seen Chronicle. I own it, but I haven't seen it. Ah, Oh, you got to get on that. Collector. Yeah. So, (laughs) so his friend, so his friend, Jeremy um, Slater and him sort of developed this idea and Trank as his, at his own words says, it took a lot of talking with him and a lot of marijuana for him to sort of like get this spec script about a found footage movie about three, three guys, three uh, high school friends who uh, explore a cave and they suddenly get these superpowers. And then one of them ends up, you know, kind of going psycho. And then the other two have to sort of reel them in. Um, Slater passed on writing that. And eventually Trank hit up his friend, Max Landis. Because of course, of course they're friends. Of course they are. Because of course they're friends. Actually, the way Trank tells it, he didn't know anybody in the industry. So he literally went on his Facebook friends list and was combing through to see who was in in Los Angeles who was in the industry and it happened to be Max Landis. So he and Max Landis are talking about this about Chronicle and behind his back Landis pitches the movie and comes back the next day and says, "Hey, guess what? They want a full script. I'm sorry I did this behind your back." And you know, Trank is 26 years old. His whole key was to make a movie by 27. So he's he's on it. And apparently, it, you know, it was a huge hit. It ended up making, I think, about 123 million worldwide. And he ba- literally became like the youngest uh, filmmaker to open like a hit movie like that. And it's funny because he says that he mainly wrote it because he wanted people to stop making found footage films. Just kind <laughs> of weird. That's he so- wanted to um, make the last found footage film. Exactly. He said he wanted to make it so crazy and insane people would stop making them. And by by the way, there there's a huge article in in um, Polygon. If you just if you just Google it, Josh Trank, Fantastic Four Polygon. And it was like it's a huge interview that has where I'm calling all of this information basically from. Um, so then he ends up, you know, becoming the golden boy. He is trying to pitch a bunch of stuff. They want him to pitch uh, something called uh uh, second, sec, I, uh, second War of Colossus or something. I think it's a video game. They wanted him to adapt that. They wanted him to pitch Shadow a Venom the, or a Spider-Man. Shadow, the Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, that's it. Shadow of the Colossus. I'm so sorry. I was I was telling them that I had all the notes written out, and then my sheet got deleted, and oh, so no. I was like, Oh no, help me! <laughs> so I'm trying to do this all off the top of my head. It's pretty um, impressive. I must say he was also he was also pitching a ton of like. Like a Venom movie, a Spider-Man movie. Apparently, that pitch was hated by Matt Tolmac, who was one of the producers of The Amazing Spider-Man. Um, he also tried to, uh, and apparently, that video game pitch. He said that it was like he quoted it as the squirmiest pitch he's ever had, and he basically walked out and never even addressed it. And then he pitched a Boba Fett movie to Kathleen Kennedy, CEO director of um, Lucasfilm. They loved his idea and his pitch, and they actually were like, you know what, you're going to do the Boba Fett movie. And then lo and behold, uh, Fantastic Four drops into his lap, and here we are. So before before we talk about the people in front of the camera, because I think that discussion is going to lead to our thoughts on the film. Yeah. Let's talk about the production and development, because Josh Trank's at the, at the center of this. So when you read articles about the making of this film, there is a lot, and I mean a lot, of Trank versus the studio and the actors. I think that's the general consensus of, of most of the information that was coming out about production and development. And I, I think that pretty much sums up the production. However, 
you do get a sense that the studio just didn't have any confidence in Trank from the get-go. And there seemed to be a lot of decisions out of the gate that was just going to set him up for failure. Uh, so, so here's a couple of things to keep in mind when, when we're talking about the film. This movie had just a revolving door of writers. You touched on this, Jose. Um, Jeremy Slater left the project after six months. Uh, he wanted sort of yeah. an Avengers-type film. Trank was going for something entirely different, and so he just gave up on that. And the studio just brought in more writers to punch up the script, right? And then during reshoots, the studio brought in more writers and wouldn't even <laughs> look at Trank's suggestions for rewrites. So they're bringing in writer after writer during the whole production thing. Uh, this is super interesting, too. Uh, you talked about the budget kind of balloon, ballooning after the original reshoots. So Fox slashed the budget even before filming began. And basically what that meant was Josh Trank actually couldn't film the original ending in the script, meaning when they went into production, they didn't have an ending at all. So they couldn't film an ending during principal photography, and they had to come up with an ending to the film during reshoots. And that's basically when the actors are coming back on the weekend. Um, and that's why somebody's wearing a wig because they changed their <laughs> color. It's a very samurai cop esque wig. It, it is. Well, so that's, gate. that's the reshoots. And, and keep in mind when, when I Trank was working a wig guys, I, I, you'll have to tell me what, what that <laughs> was. Didn't I didn't notice, notice a wig. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's lots of tension but, on the set due to Trank's behavior. Yeah. So didn't get along with anybody. Um, and, and there's, again, you can read this all over the internet. There's, there's a very, um, uh, detailed, <laughs> I guess, fight between him and, uh, miles, uh, to the point that I, I guess it almost got physical or came very oh. close. Um, and you know, even today, Kate Mara talks about her time during that film and says, I'm, I'm glad I made it, but I hated making the film. So not, not a love, not a lot of love for the director. Uh, and well, then also, I mean, he works with Michael B. Jordan on uh, with Chronicle mm -hmm. cast Michael B. Jordan as human torch and apparently has to sleep with a gun every night because he's afraid that someone's going to come to his house and kill him because he he's getting death threats, a black yeah. man as a oh. character in a, yeah. in a who is wow. predominantly white. Yep. Not predominantly white is a white character in the comic book. Now, Fox he's predominantly white. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fox was interested in taking the property in a different direction. They gave it to Trank. Trank actually gave them a first cut of the film, uh, a, a director's cut. Now, apparently it doesn't exist anymore because all the footage is gone, but the studio hated it. They were very uncomfortable with it. And it was really dark, right? It was super dark. And, and Trank's response to that was, hey, dudes, I didn't make it for the fans. I made it for me. Um, and that didn't set well with the studio at all. Uh, so they were very uncomfortable with his vision. And that's, again, when you kind of get in a ghost director or editors trying to put it all together. And and they said, okay, we wanted to go in a different direction. But at the end of the day, we really wanted an Avengers. You didn't give us an Avengers. And here's what we have, right? So that leads to the casting and the people that they put in front of the camera. Um, I think for this property... The most important thing you have to do, even more than the director, screenplay, etc., is you have to cast these characters correctly uh, because we've, we've already kind of talked about it. The source material is unique in that this isn't your secret identity superhero. 
It's a group of people that are in public. It is supposed to be a bit realistic, which means that they're going to have a family dynamic. So they have to be likable, but at the same time, they have to convey that there's a little bit of stress under the surface, right? That whole family tension. Sure. And then you've already talked about this, Eric. I mean, Doom, he's an iconic, I mean, iconic villain. You have to get that right. If, if you don't, it doesn't matter how good your Reed Richards is and, and everything else. If Reed Richards doesn't have a good Victor Von Doom to go up against, it's, it's boring, in my opinion. Well, the, the, talking about the casting, yeah. it's important to note this movie is basically based on the ultimate version of the Fantastic Four. Yes, that's a good point. And which, you know, the ultimate line of Marvel was like something that kind of a relaunch where they they wanted to cut out all the all the deep history and kind of start fresh for new readers. Uh, they make the Fantastic Four young. This whole plot line comes from that comic where, you know, they they have the think tank and 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 uh, Professor Storm has the kids and all this stuff. This is this is all straight out of there. Even the the, the teleportation angle to the other dimension rather than space exploration like the you know the original so so we end up with like you know like teenagers here basically or like early 20s which i actually liked those i don't know if you guys ever read the the ultimate the ultimates are yeah the ultimates are good i mean mean, yeah it was it was it was an interesting read kind of a fresh take but um the gravitas that doom carries cannot be done by a teenager or like a 20 year old kid uh same you know what i'm saying like it's it just the weight isn't there these are kids it it feels like it feels like a cw show in the sense of like (laughs) they're young you got like teen angst and stuff like that it's but that's why you know we've got this young cast we do and the other thing that the ultimates i think are known for a little bit is it's it's introducing a more adult gritty version into the vision as well. So right. and a more modern take, as a well. more modern take. Yeah. And, and I still think the comics nail it in that you, you have Reed Richards, Johnny storm, all those, the ultimate still did a good job, even though you're, you're dealing with kids, they embody those elements of the classic characters. So mm-hmm. Reed is still Reed and, yeah, a teenage doom isn't as as effective as an older doom, but even the teenage doom in the comics is is pretty good, right? You lose a lot of. Uh, we're not into the character stuff yet, but it's surprising how little of those characters are here. Uh, it's sort of shorthand version of of those characters. So let's talk about that. It's 2015. You're trying to put a list together. You look at the Ultimates and you go, "We're going to go a little bit younger with the cast." but you're dealing with the Fantastic Four franchise. And so you're looking for Reed Richards. Um, there's this guy who did Whiplash. He's in the Diversion series. And he's coming along and he's doing Fantastic Four. And, it, and it's none other than Mr. Miles Teller. Um, Johnny Storm, a little bit of controversy here. Uh, they go after a person who, he, he did Chronicle with Josh, Red Tails that same year in 2012. Uh, and in 2015, he has Fantastic Four, and then he's also in another big franchise, Creed, right? So that's Michael B. Jordan. Was Creed the same year? <laughs> Creed was the same year, yep. Wow. Um, wow. Now, yeah. Sue Storm, again, I, I would say 
She is one of the biggest female characters in the Marvel sure. staple. She's a big deal because sure. you've probably got probably my favorite. I I'm trying to think, but I'm mean, certainly one of my favorite. I, I agree with you. And, and I mean, if you're thinking about all of the classic comics, I mean, Sue Storm is so cool and badass yeah. that you have people, these heavy villains, like their, their main goal is I want to marry Sue Storm. That's how cool she is. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. In, the, in the comic book, is she, is she there just to design the suits? No, no, she's no, no she yeah. no. <laughs> and see patterns yeah. uh, and see patterns. <laughs> yeah, is she and not just the fact that, like you said, she's she's the apple of a lot of people's eye. Uh, she's so much more than that. And she's such a formidable, you know, opponent to these villains as well. She's incredibly powerful, yeah. you know, uh, in the comics. And yeah, arguably, she's the most powerful out of all four of them. Right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Excellent yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, Kate Mara, who comes from Transcendence. And in 2015, this was interesting. She was certainly busy. She had Fantastic Four, Man Down, The Martian, and Captive. So she was she was working her oh. butt off during this time period. And last but not least, you got the thing, Ben Grimm. Okay. So he's the muscle of, of the team, sort of the orange version of the Hulk. And you're like, okay, are we going to cast for that? Well, we're going to go for this skinny little dude from Snowpiercer in 2013 and Filth. And uh, he's also in Nymphomaniac Volume 2. Let's cast that guy as Ben Grimm in uh, uh, Fantastic Four. Don't worry. You won't see much of him. Yeah. Wait, um, you, you, what? you totally glossed over Jamie Bell's resume. <laughs> Billy called- Elliot? <laughs> yes, I called Jamie Bell Tom Holland uh, OG because he starred as Billy Elliot in the film version of it. I think he actually did it on the West End as well. He did. Um, um, but I, yeah. keep in mind, we're not talking Billy Elliot days. We're talking what were these people doing in 2013, 2014 as they're casting, right? So, yes. Regardless, True. it's still bad casting, regardless yeah. of what he was doing. Then, then he well, got. It's <laughs> weird. It's like they got to turn everything on its head. Oh, Ben Grimm's a big guy. Well, let's make him a small guy. Yeah. The, the whole point of Ben Grimm is that he's always taken like he's he's like reed richards stronger buddy that will protect him from bullies and things like that essentially he's his stronger more physical friend yeah yeah I mean, that's his I, I think, his whole idea is he's protective of his friends he's like a a lovable loyal friend yeah he's not uh, dumb he's not dumb no, no no i think i think some of the iterations he's a pilot and uh He's right. just he's he's not as smart as Reed Richards, but yeah, he's he, not a super genius. Yeah, he's like a but he's not a dummy guy. either, right? No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Victor Von Doom. So you're super villain. You're like, hey, this uh, Toby Kebble guy uh, who was in the Counselor, Dawn of the Planet, Planet of the Apes. Let's let's bring him in as the heavy. Um, Reggie Kathy as Doctor Franklin Storm, and then I, I guess you would call him a villain of sort outside of Dr. Doom Maybe. is Tim Blake Nelson as Dr. Harvey Allen. So he's sort of the, the government government villain. Now we, we can go through Tim's resume, but I'm, I'm <laughs> the incredible Hulk 2008. That's all you need to know, right? He's been in the Marvel <laughs> universe before. <laughs> so I want to start with you, Eric. Th- this is the cast that we put together for this film. What do you think about this cast as the fantastic four 
and Victor Von Doom, knowing we're going in a different direction, right? And sure, we're basing on the Ultimates and all that yeah. other stuff. Uh, I think the I think the core elements of the characters are kind of missing a little bit. Um, I as far as the casting goes, uh, Michael B. Jordan is perfect as Johnny Storm, but let him be that like he's a little cocky in this but i don't know i needed more more swagger from from him you could you could I argue mean, that you got michael a b. guy jordan like might, that oh, sorry you could argue michael b jordan might be a little overqualified to play the human torch yeah, yeah he's like <laughs> you got a guy with that much charisma and swagger and he almost feels kind of restrained in this movie uh maybe i don't know who knows i'm not the hugest miles teller fan um and i I, I guess I'll put Miles it this way. I don't mind. <laughs> We're going to disagree a few times in this one, but um, I like Miles Teller in, in some things. I, I don't think it's necessarily anyone's fault uh, as far as the cast goes. Uh, my issues are more with the characters in the film than the cast. They're all fine. Okay. Jose, what about you? Uh, I love Miles Teller. I think he's... I think he's super talented, super foxy. Um, I know that there was this, I think around this time, actually, there was a terrible article that came out. I, I don't know what the woman was thinking when she wrote this, but there was an Esquire interview with him. And she goes on and on about how like, oh, Miles Teller's kind of a dick. Oh, he makes a joke. He's kind of a dick to the waiter. Maybe Miles Teller really is a dick, but he's a talented dick. And I think that that sort of like dickishness thing sort of followed him around. Um, he can be very sarcastic, which is kind of why him and Trank allegedly butted heads because he has his own acting style and Trank had very set, uh, you know, to hear other people tell it and nobody's ever going to know the real story because there's NDAs, nobody can talk about it. But apparently Trank was ordering them like to stand a certain way, to breathe at a certain point. And he just was very authoritarian about the performances Mara said that she, you know, she regret she doesn't regret doing the movie, but she regrets that she didn't speak up for herself. And I, I'm inclined to think that, you know, Teller strikes me as somebody who would go to her defense, maybe again, which is why him and Trank possibly went to blows, which is strange because, you know, Eric, you, you talked about how Michael B. Jordan is restrained. Everything that Teller had done up until then was like sex comedies or he played like the the crazy wow the crazy like i need rindlin um supporting character and he and teller is very restrained in this like he has he's got like the sloped shoulders and he's just very almost like on the spectrum in, well in i some yeah, i had a i had a note that said never go full nerd because <laughs> i well <laughs> he went full nerd in this like <laughs> Beyond yes. nerd. I, it's like, it's okay for Reed is, you know, intellectual. He's an intellectual. He's lost in thought a lot. Uh, I don't know. They went like, I'm surprised he didn't have a pocket protector. I know. Have you, have you read 20,000 Leagues on the Sea? It's a great, it's a great novel. That's, he says, have you ever heard of this classic book? Yeah, he says Captain Nemo. I'm like, are, did you just explain her 20,000 Leagues on the Sea? Like, yeah. really? Yeah. Oh, but you know what? Boy. That's, but see, that's a choice and I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it. Like if you're going to, if you're going to modernize it and you've got somebody who's super smart, who as a kid is, by the way, there's a throwaway line where the teacher says, 
are you still working on your flying car? Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the fantastic. fantastic car. Car, he's like, yeah. no, 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 I've, <laughs> I've abandoned that or whatever. I'm working on whatever. Like he's a little kid. Like I just, I, I get that maybe he would be socially awkward that he would only have a small bubble of friends, which by the way, mirrors Trank's upbringing as well. So I think that, you know, Trank wrote a lot of himself into some of these characters and quite frankly, the studio didn't like it. Like, uh, as you said, Troy Slater was telling him, the Avengers, man, that's our template. That's where we have to go. And Trank hated the idea. And he was like, I'm going to do my own version of it. And y'all are going to like it. I, yeah. I yeah. you know, yeah, I don't know much about this Trank guy, but I would much rather see someone's singular vision than some, you know, Oh, absolutely. Cobbled, cobbled together. You know, right. I mean, yeah. right. You know, right or wrong. I want to see somebody's idea come to filmmaking by the committee. And, yeah. 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 And uh, I'd be really curious to see what he really had in mind for this movie, because, you know, you mentioned stuff when they're kids. I I, I was kind of on board, like in the beginning, I'm, you know, the, the flashback stuff. I also was thinking about like a good blueprint for how to actually pull off a Fantastic Four movie. I don't know if you guys were thinking about that, like how to actually do it like now, but uh, I could kind of see where he was going. I, I liked the time, you know, the flashback stuff. I, I could see more of that uh, being helpful, you know, just okay. to flesh characters out and stuff. What, what about the cast for you, Brad? What, what did you think about this? I mean, since I don't have any attachment to the characters, like I'm, I'm myself in 2014 or 2013 when I'm trying to cast this movie and I'm like, Oh yeah, all these people make sense. Um, you're getting Michael B. Jordan on the upswing, right? You're, you're getting miles teller on the upswing. Yeah. Um, Kate Mara, all they all you're catching all these people. Of course you, then you have two characters, which they're not great actors. I don't think, I don't think the guy playing Victor Von doom is very good. And the guy playing Ben is not great either. Um, but you know, you're, you're, you're at least catching these people at the right moment where you could like, Oh, if this movie were to hit, we have these young like rising star yeah. actors who could really catapult this movie. And then we have side them on for more movies and more movies. And we're, you know, we're making this into a franchise. It all makes sense. Um, and again, I think they might be overqualified for what they're doing in this movie. Like I would be Jordan. You Absolutely. look at me in his creed and you're like, yeah. wow, <laughs> if you want to see like a cocky character with charisma, as soon as he comes on in creed, you're like, I, I, I want to. I want to be with this guy. I want to. I want to see. And that his really, and that really fits with with Johnny Storm too. I yep. mean, that, that's like that's Johnny Storm too. That's the same. I mean, I mean just I, play it that way. I hate to like bring up Chris Evans, but I mean, that's kind of what they got right with that one. Is you know, yeah. he got the cockiness right. Uh, maybe yep. that one was maybe turned up too far the other way, but at least they went with for it. The so. the, the womanizing party, you know playboy guy yeah i yeah I it was per he was perfect more. in that in my yeah. i thought he yeah, was yeah. i mean he still is to me the best johnny storm out there all yeah. of that by the way improv and it's it's weird i look back at his performances in those tim story um fantastic fours and it, it was like ryan reynolds before ryan reynolds went ryan reynolds yeah <laughs> if, that, if that makes any sense but um apparently you know on the commentaries, if you listen to them, yes, I listened to the commentaries for the Tim Story, um, Fantastic Fours. And, uh, <laughs> he improved a lot of that, you know, and and apparently when they call cut, he's all like quiet and like on the set. Thank you. 
thank you. <laughs> and then he comes on and he just does his Johnny Storm shit and he's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I, so I look, I'm going to talk about the Fantastic Four. When I, when I look at Miles, Michael, Kate, Jamie, on paper as an individual, if you're saying Sue Storm, Kate Mara, I look at that and I go, okay, I'm good. Where, where are you going with this? Especially if you're, if you're going this ult, ultimates line. Awesome. Michael G Michael B. Jordan, brilliant casting in my opinion. Miles Teller. I'm, I'm a big Miles Teller fan. I like this, this choice. Cause he can bring that. Um, and even Jamie bell, I, I mean, say what you will about the Tim story. I think they get the thing right too. Um, but if they're going into a sort of a deeper, darker territory and you bring Jamie bell to it for the Ben Grimm character, uh, who's going to kind of be, uh, Reed Richards wingman. I think, I think Jamie bell is good on paper. What I don't think happened, I don't know, but this is just how I feel. Uh, they cast them individually, brought Miles Teller in and said, why don't you go ahead and say these these lines of dialogue for Reed Richards. Um, Michael Jordan comes in and he gives his lines. They should have brought these people together and said, why don't you read this scene with Kate? Or why don't you read this scene with Jamie and see if we got some chemistry here? Because the only thing they got wrong in the casting is if Fantastic Four is supposed to have this sort of dysfunctional family element or unit to it, that dysfunction has to have some connection to it between the characters and not just from a story or plot perspective. Like, hey, we grew up together. That's our family thing, right? Or, oh, I, I like this person. That's our family thing to it. No, there, there's got to be some connection there. There's got to be a little chemistry. There's zero chemistry between these four at all. They don't work together. Um that's where the casting's wrong. You pick the right people for these parts in the direction you're going to, but unfortunately, together, they don't gel at all. Uh, and then Victor Von Doom, worst fucking casting decision ever made in the history of film. Um, Toby Kebble is fucking terrible. Like, please <laughs> do not ever give this guy, just have him go be a janitor at a local high school from now on, because hey, he's terrible in this film. Um, but yeah. let's, I like him as an actor. <laughs> I he I may be a like great person. He should just quit his day job as acting and go pick up another day job. Um, but let's get to our thoughts on the film. <laughs> Although, wait, wait, hold on. He's also, by the way, Toby Kebbell is heir to the Andy Circus mocap um, throne. So he he's done. Uh, Kebbell has done motion capture. He was in Warcraft. He played Don Don Tron. Don I don't know one of those things with the horns in his mouth. Um, he was also Koba in uh, Dawn of the Planet, uh, Dawn Koba. of the Planet of the Apes. Koba, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's terrible. I, I yeah, I know. I, I, I agree with you. Actor. I agree I've with you, Jose. Him, he's terrible. <laughs> I've seen him in a ton of stuff. I think he's a great actor, <laughs> I, and I think he wasn't working with much in this. I don't think I, he's I, working yeah, much at blame. all with this skill. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to blame the, the actors in this movie to me. I, I it, there's just so little for them to do. I, I don't know. I. I, I hey look I still they're think, so focused on on their goal yeah there's very little character stuff happening in this movie in general I I agree with you but I still think the little that's there this Toby guy still manages to trip and fall <laughs> all over it so um anyways I'm gonna start with you Eric Toby if you're listening we're sorry <laughs> I'm not sorry I'm not a play. fight me Toby let's go um oh, fight me, Toby. <laughs> 
Toby, I love you. I'll defend you. I'll, yeah. I'll be your Ben Grimm. Yeah. Um, I won't defend you, Toby. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with you, Eric. So casting aside, I, I don't, I don't think we're like, let me just in, in general, I think we all like the elements of the casting, but there's something wrong, right? Sure, it may not absolutely. necessarily be the casting to your point, Eric, it, it could be the content, everything else. I'll be the only one that, you know, takes it to the extreme and go, Toby was just not even, <laughs> uh, anyways. Um, but I want to start just general overall thoughts on the fantastic four. This is the first time watch for you too, right, Eric? Yes. First time. And, and I, I turned it on and I, I had a really good, I, I kept kind of putting it off because mm-hmm. I've known about this for a while and I just watched it this a few days ago, a couple days ago. And I, once I put it on and we start getting in, I, for one thing, I was thinking it's going to be nice to just watch a movie that isn't in the MCU, like yeah. Yeah. A, a Marvel movie that's just free of all that. This might stand mess. alone by itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I and I was like, you know, I'm feeling this and you got the, the kids. But, you know, as it goes on, uh, this decisions don't feel right. The the as I've mentioned, the characters don't feel right. Uh it it doesn't feel like Fantastic Four as as much as it maybe feels like an X Men movie, you know. Our our teenagers got some powers. This guy's bad. Got to take out the bad guy. It felt kind of generic. Mm-hmm. Um, and us being a few of us being Fantastic Four fans, we know the potential. The potential's massive. I mean, that's a property that really hasn't. I mean, there's been great. X-Men films. There's been great Avengers films. <laughs> Fantastic Four has yet to have a proper uh I I know a lot of people say this, but I I I like The Incredibles is the best Fantastic Four movie. Yeah. Uh yeah, it that's nails mm-hmm. the family dynamic. Superheroes as a family and the complications of a family, your your role in a family you know, and and having to solve problems and save the world while also dealing with your role and your relationships in, with your family members. None of that's here. It's it's a group of heroes that have to take on a bad guy. Uh, what one of the great things of Fantastic Four is the exploration and the wonder. And there's just not a lot of wonder here. Everything's kind of dark, desaturated. It's got that feel of like the Batman v Superman, the just super like uh, desaturated look. Everything's even the other dimension. What an opportunity. Thank God we had people like, uh, you know, or, or movies like Ragnarok and stuff that have that have said, hey, let's embrace color, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Good point. I, th- th- that came after this. But and, and that's so wonderful. You got the. You know, so many Marvel movies are doing that now. We're going to get it with Ant Man, the quant- quantum mania, and all that. Yeah, yeah and and you're going to another dimension. You can do anything. Well, let's just make it a desolate wasteland. <laughs> in, it's in just its defense, I thought is... Planet Zero did have some cool elements to it. Like when the green kind of starts coming up through I the like cracks, the green. It, it looks it looks neat. I I do have some compliments for this movie. Yeah, at some point, but <laughs> overall, I do feel like it's very generic. Uh, it it feels like the low end X Men films to me, not the high end ones. I'd put this with, you know, Dark Phoenix or. Okay. Know. Do you do you <laughs> like Dark Phoenix? If I 
No, oh, okay. <laughs> no one likes Dark Phoenix. Okay. It was a little yeah. bit of a mess. Yeah, that's what this feels like. A mess. I don't really care. It never really made me care. Okay. So. Wait, actually, I'd like to hear the com- Can we hear the compliments? Ooh, yes, sure. Uh, I liked, well, like I said, I liked the beginning and the setup. I, I think the, the ultimate stuff can work, you know? Uh, and But I, I liked the horror elements when they get their powers and sort of the them dealing with it initially and kind of how horrific that stuff was. I liked how dark that was because it is pretty horrific, like a guy being stretched out super long and all that kind of stuff. People on fire. Uh, I like those elements. I like some of the design elements there. Um, And like uh, Reed's suit that he makes to kind of hold himself together that some, there's some like ideas in here that are good. You know what I mean? That I, Mm -hmm. that I'm interested in. Uh, it's just the character stuff that isn't working so much for me. Okay. So that comes from somebody who is very, very familiar with the source material. If we go to the other spectrum who isn't close to it, that's you, Brad, right? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so I was kind of following along with Eric as well. Like the first part of this movie, I was pretty invested in and they finally start doing something with like, okay, now we're going to start introducing the powers and then the movie loses me when it says one year later, because like you're, you're waiting for those moments, right? Where they're dealing with having powers and the horrific side of that. We see a glimpse of that and then they just gloss over it. And then we have to have all these interactions with characters like Ben and Reed, like they're fighting, but we didn't see any of that stuff. We didn't see, we see him leave, but we don't see, any of them dealing with it. Him leaving see- makes no sense yeah. either. Like the fact that he's just gone for a year yeah. and then but, he's back. Like, well, we're why? just seeing the, the aftermath of that. We're not seeing yeah. any of this stuff sort of play out. And like Sue storm is like not trusting their current situation of like, well, it would have been nice to know like how she got there. That time shift yeah. is one of the most mind boggling decisions i've seen in a movie in a long time because you just gloss over all the stuff that makes the third act pay off well the 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 seemingly the only point of that is to progress ben grimm to a point of being like this grizzled like mercenary exactly exactly uh, which isn't even in the spirit of the character you know at all why are we doing all this legwork (laughs) to like make him this like tortured like weapon x yeah, exactly. Type, uh, guy, you know, but but like and I could be wrong, but I isn't there like a love triangle between like Sue Storm, Victor Von Doom and, and Reed? Isn't that sort of it's very and, yeah, yes. a couple looks, a couple comments yeah. and, and even like that. you like you see that going in here. Yeah, that would have played off much better if they would have kept that going a little bit more. So that third act battle had a little bit more weight to it. Mm-hmm. Like it all culminates into this battle, which is. You know, Victor is supposed to be Dr. Doom at this point in time and it's supposed to be all powerful. Literally, they they come together and they're like, hey, four of us can beat this one guy. And they do. And that's it. Um, I don't know, man. Like I found after like the 50 minute mark, this movie to be so boring and just just to the point where I was like, you know what? I might just take a nap because this is <laughs> so boring. All the work that they did, like they did all this work to set up these characters. And I'm to the point where like, Hey, I'm seeing them come together. I'm seeing them maybe forming sort of this little family. Um, maybe, you know, Victor starts to 
put a wedge in one of like do something to start causing something. And then, you know, of course it also has this trope of like scientists or smart people doing the dumbest shit in the entire world. And they go to another planet. Why are you touching green shit? Stop. Stop. Yeah. Don't do that. I, yeah. Don't do I that. was definitely thinking, uh, uh, <laughs> Prometheus, like Prometheus, they took their helmets yeah, they, off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah what yeah. are you doing? Uh, like, yeah, they're at, at just going over there. Like, oh, you they they drink yeah. some some whiskey and they're just gonna like, yeah, we have <laughs> yeah, we get drunk and now we're gonna, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that little just, vial of whiskey. They're yeah. they're super lightweights, man. There's three of them too, and <laughs> yeah, they yeah, all got fun. wasted on on yeah yeah. You think Doom? I mean, Doom should be able to hold his liquor. Let's let's yes. yeah. <laughs> I, maybe not read, but also uh, read yeah read. Reed, I understand, but yeah, Victor. Yeah, he's been doing some drinking. Um, it's his flask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, man, I I wanted to like, I wanted to like a movie, and this movie does everything in its power to not let me like it. Like it, it is fighting against me liking it by all the decisions it's making, and just these characters that I like. I should like Michael B. Jordan. I like Michael B. Jordan a lot, but I, I don't know anything about him. Like they have this struggle with his father, but they don't really do anything with it. And, you know, it just, ah, I, I was so frustrated watching this movie because I think the potential for it was there. It just all kind of unravels at some point in time. You're like, I, I, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know why we're here. Why are why why do you not want to have these powers? Like why? Like because you're always you on fire, them? Brad. All twenty four seven, man. You seem to like it at the time. Well, so, you can see why Ben wouldn't want his powers. Yeah, but yeah. Hey, okay, sorry, sorry. sorry rock- you're a giant rock man forever. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah, Deal. going going. You back wanted to, to come plan- see. Yeah, going to Planet Zero <laughs> is is dangerous. Like yeah, we're talking yeah. about interdimensional <laughs> stuff, and we're yeah, just like, yeah. You're, no, we're you're, just going next door. Apparently, yeah, you're know. going with an untested suit to outer, to to another dimension you, with a bunch so of drunk guys. It's, it's yeah. a risk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you don't know what you're going into at all. So uh, anyway. yeah, he's yeah, and it's very short lived. That tension is like I'm yeah. mad at you, and then like I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also, just the the sorry the, the trope of the the like the giant like world destroying thing. Yeah, thing. energy, the bright thing. Yeah thing yep. yeah the flashlight which is in so many of these movies <laughs> it's Snort. just oh like if i see one more you know uh, man of steel has it with the big machine and yep. if i see one the more war giant machine. pillar of light that's going to destroy <laughs> the world i swear to god i'm so sick of it mm. so I, it doesn't have to be world ending you can have crazy drama with just this group of kids and then it you know what i mean yeah, I mean, yeah. why can't we just stop a bank robbery? <laughs> why? why can't it just be a bank? Yeah, robbery? or yeah, or save someone important. Like, yeah, it doesn't have to be world ending in every every story. Yeah, so basically, I I ended up not liking this movie at all. I I can tell. I kind of hated it. So. You okay. didn't like it that Doom basically had force powers. Like, no, you're Star no. Star Wars. And, and the oh my god, the the Doom design. You're like, no, this is so bad. Really? Like, oh, his, I kind of liked suit- it. I, it looks cool, the, but it looks awesome. the suit. give me the armor. I need the armor. Yeah, I, need the armor. I, I get it. Was the, there. It, it was biomechanical dimensional it was his, armor. It was his. Uh, it was his suit. Space suit. Yeah, yeah space suit with melted. Suit. Yeah. Yeah. that was very well designed. It's an by interesting Zeus idea. Yeah, I, but, I I like the effect of the Doom look. Now it's not classic Victor Von Doom, 
but this is one of those choices where you're like, okay, if you're going in a different direction with it and instead of like a metal plate and you go, well, the suit is going to be infused into the skin now from the green stuff. I, I thought it looked cool at least. It, it definitely looked cool. I yeah. like the hood as well. Yeah. Kind of, Disagree. Kind of Disagree. No, I did not. Li- I did not like the hood. Oh, I did not like the hood. <laughs> I, when he put that thing on, I was like, Ugh. it was like, like a big canopy. I thought he was going to whip it off and like have do a drag show. It was like, weird. Cause it wasn't just like a, a normal cloak. Like it was a weird extra, like it was a Cape hood thing. Like, like yeah. a still suit from Dune. It was, it was huge. Where did he get it? Where did he get fabric? Did uh, he weave it out of like some uh, kind of local? That's a good plant? question. Now you're thinking Maybe too hard about stuff this. <laughs> created a, I don't know. All right, That's Jose. A good question: Where did you get that cake? What's what's your take on this? <laughs> okay, uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because you've been reacting to some of these uh, some of these takes we've been doing. Okay, so here here's the deal. I hmm. so <laughs> when I got out of college, my bent because I fashioned myself being this like movie reviewer, right? So my idea when I go see a movie is I try not to read any of the press material, the articles. I don't step through the trailers. I don't watch the trailers. I don't listen to the directors. I don't listen to press crap. I just try to go in and not have any advance whatever and just be like, here it is. Get it in my eyes. I love it. Um, When I first saw this in the theater, I thought it was a huge, big swing. There was definitely some misses, but I got it. I, I liked this sort of darker, you know, tone to it. I like that it was completely different from the Tim Story Fantastic Fours, which, you know, I think I can't remember if it was Brad or Eric that said it. But uh, as a fan of the Fantastic Four, when I saw Tim Story's version, I think they swung too far to the sort of slapstick comedy um, yeah. and that it just it, it it became like, yeah, it just it was like a. Like, I don't know. It wasn't the adventure that I knew the Fantastic Four to be. And it's it funny. It feels very because, PG. Yeah. yeah. Yes, definitely. And, and you know, it, people talk about like, oh, Batman is so dark. You know, the new, the new Matt Reeves. Even back then, Batman Begins with Nolan. Those things are really dark. And yet there's a huge percentage of moviegoers that do like that sort of dark tone. And I think they were mm. going for that. Um, especially considering that we had the story Fantastic Four, which was very light and colorful and like a comic book. So I enjoyed the fact that this was not your average superhero movie. Um, I get a lot of the criticisms and it, it does seem that obviously the behind the scenes stuff, Trank, you know, and his script. So the way that the rumor goes is, Jeremy Slater left the project. Troy, you said this. Jeremy Slater left the project after six months. The studio had him write something like 18, 18, one, eight drafts for this movie. And Trank insisted that Slater would never talk to the studio alone mm-hmm. and that he would be the go between, between the studios. So again, the rumor goes that, that Trank would never pass the notes to Slater and that Trank would just write his own script and submit it as Slater's, right? So obviously there's a huge mess with the rest of the movie and how it turns out and the ending, but everything has been painted in very, very broad strokes. 
I think everything you need to know about the characters comes from their dialogue and the dialogue is very Spartan. It's, it's kind of like a comic book, right? Like there's no deep dialogue. It's gotta be in one big bubble on a panel, right? So they were doing the same thing here, a comic book feel. And it is a different way of looking at the fantastic four, right? Like, so you've got these like socially awkward scientist kids who are just laser focused on like the research and they don't really have a personality, but those were the characters we were being presented. And I bought into that. Um, You know, I did like the angle, the fact that they got all these superpowers and they were freaked out about it, that it was a scary thing. And um, I don't think that that's talked about enough. You know, I think we, in a lot of these uh, comic book movies, they get it. They're a little freaked out. And then there's like the the Yoda montage training, you know, and, and then they're like, I'm good now. And I'm this like superhero. <laughs> um, so I like the fact that, you know, they get the powers and it's played as this sort of like scary thing. And especially, yeah, yeah. you know, the human torch, like he, you know, their version of him is that he was constantly on fire. It's only because the suit was on him that he stopped burning. Right. Um And even going back to the origin of Ben Grimm, you know, he didn't have a fiance like in the Tim Story movie. Um, He really didn't have anybody. And that's why he sort of was like depressed. And I think they were trying to punch home that, you know, like he didn't have a lot of people. He had an abusive brother. His only friend was, you know, Reed. Reed, you know, abandons them and he has this sense of loss. There's no one else. I didn't have a family. My only family, Reed, you know, left me. And that's why he's depressed, right? That's why he's the sort of morose, like, woe is me. Um, And, you know, it's interesting. If you look at Jamie Bell's reactions, a lot of this movie hinges on, like, their facial expressions. And maybe I'm just the kind of person that, you know, I try to hone in on that stuff and then feel it empathetically or whatever, but there's a lot of like looks that Jamie Bell gives um, Miles Teller to show that like, he's really looking out for Reed and there's a sense of loss when they get to the Baxter Institute and, you know, Miles is like, Hey, this is great. This could be good. And, you know, Ben's looking out the window and he's got this sad look on his face and he says, you know, you're home. And he knows I'm not going to be with him because I'm not smart. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be his roommate. I'm not going to be at the Baxter Institute. I'm going back to the stupid junkyard with my ab- abusive, with Chet He's, Hanks. I'm going back to the yeah. salvage yard with Chet Hanks. God, right? that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> basically. He, yeah, um, he sent me to Planet Zero. Jesus. He's the Ben Affleck to, uh, to <laughs> meets, uh, Matt Damon. Indeed. Yeah. So, okay. The other thing that was annoying to me too was a lot of the blackouts, the fade to blacks. It was like, if that happened one more time, I was just going to like walk out of the theater <laughs> the first time I saw it. But let's talk about that jump, the one-year jump. So I don't think they built this up, but I think in that one-year jump, they never left that, that, that facility that they were in. They were trapped there. And the reason why Tim Blake Nelson's character is so evil is because he's basically abusing them and using them to develop them as weaponry. They did it easy with Ben because Ben has all that hostility and depression over Reed leaving leaving him that he wants to go out and destroy stuff, right? Um, Johnny eventually 
leans into it and he's like, let's go. I'm ready. I can do this. I can do all this stuff. I can beat the time signature and blow up more things or whatever. Right. He's ready to prove his worth and get out of that. And then, of course, you know, Sue is just sort of like, like, woe is me. What's going to happen? I want to heal all of us. And there's that interaction between her and Johnny where she says, I'm working on healing all of us so we can all get out of here. Um, so I think that we're making a point of, you know, corporate America or the military, the government, seeing somebody different, seeing somebody with superpowers, and then just using them for their own means and not caring about them as individuals. So I think that for me, that punched that home that a year later, they're stuck in this facility, they haven't been released, they're working on their powers. And then they get to that point where when they have the final battle, they can become the Fantastic Four and use their powers together. Um, yeah, Doom was definitely a disappointment. Um, terrible. What you, he did you, you meant here, to say terrible. Yeah. Okay. He was a disappointment. <laughs> uh, oddly enough, too, by the way, Kebble was on record as saying that he was rarely in that costume. He says there's very few shots where he's actually Dr. Doom. There's one like walking down a hallway, he said, one other shot. But every other time, it's it's a body double, right? So when he comes out and he's like limping, Kebble is like, I don't know why the body double did that, why he was limping. I would not have done that as a, as a choice for an actor. So, um, but anyway, yeah, Doom was a disappointment, although he was frightening. He was making all the heads explode and everything. Yeah. I agree the whole light thing was kind of annoying because we've seen that ad nauseum done. It could have been Galactus too, right? I think that they wanted to bring in Galactus as like this like world destroying energy, but I, I guess they moved it around. And, you know, the ending battle isn't as spectacular as it could have been, right? It's sort of like he's using the planet against them, and then they're all like, we can do it together. And then it's Which like, Mickey Rooney comes in. and we do. Yeah. The, they do in the other uh, Fantastic yeah. Four films yeah. as well. Like, they do that. But I, but I did like the approach. And uh, I don't know. I The way that it turned out cobbled together this way, it's not as bad as people say it is or 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 think that it is and again i went in with an open mind not thinking about the comic books not thinking about like okay well this is different you know i try to do that when i see the comic book movies i don't like to compare sure to like you know yeah you got the source material chance. you just yeah, have yeah, yeah. to go to the movie you know see what see how the movie is and i like i like what they did you know i i see like where the where this could be a great movie like I see the ideas and the threads that could work. You know what I'm saying? And who knows? Yeah. You know, for me, what what happened? You mentioned a good uh, something I didn't really think about was other. Th you know, we talked about liking the beginning of the movie, uh, Brad and I at least, and and they are in that think tank, and then the year later, they're basically still there, right? That like the whole movie takes place in this nondescript underground facility almost entirely you know mm -hmm. what i mean it would be nice to get them yeah. out out and about doing some things get them out in the world you know area 57 is what it was called <laughs> oh that's <laughs> right yeah yes um yeah i i love it when a filmmaker takes a chance on the source material goes entirely different direction um obviously sure. that's what marvel was trying to do with the ultimates with you know some of their classic characters i i, I always get excited when somebody says, hey, we're taking this property and we're doing something different with it. Sure. Elseworlds and DC, like all of that, that yeah. stuff can you can really mine some excellent ideas. The old man Logan was, you know, yeah. kind of kind it's of fantastic. Well. Yeah, it's so creative. 
Um, and and I, I love, so you have a director that wants to take sort of a beloved superhero team from the 60s and really turn it into a horror movie. That I really think that's what he's doing. That would be amazing. Uh, and I think if, I think if it was allowed to happen. Yeah, that, I think that's what Trank is trying to do. It's mad scientists fighting each other with a little bit of David Cronenberg, specifically scanners, kind of thrown in. And there's sure. body hoarder, body horror yeah. elements. We just talked about that. When right. they get their powers, that that feels like David Cronenberg is at the helm yeah. going. You're right. Well, yeah. superhero films, when you get your powers, it's it's a body horror thing. Uh, and I think it's in there. And I think there is a little bit of a punk rock attitude and that that's all in this film. And so I watched it in the theater because this is one of the films I'm like, Oh, another fantastic four saw the trailer. I'm like, Ooh, I really like what they're going to do with this. Got super excited, watched it. I've actually seen this like three or four times. Um, because I always in my head are, is like, let me go back to this again. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm like trying to force feed yeah, me liking yes. it. Uh, and, <laughs> And you get one hour, it's a one hour and 40 minute film at the 45 minute mark, they get their powers, right? So in the first 45 minutes, it's not really boring. It is kind of interesting, but I really think they could have got there a lot faster. And it really kicks in when they do get their powers, you get that horror movie element to it. It's dark. It's gritty. I'm I would say the when you get to the 50 minute film, you're like, oh my God, this is gonna be fan this is gonna be fantastic. Cause you get you try and get some characters set up. I don't think it necessarily works. And to be quite honest, it's the it's this Victor Von Doom character. He just sucks the life out of every scene when he opens his mouth. And so if they had a different character doing that, it might have even worked, even though there's not a lot of chemistry between our Fantastic Four. I, I could still get past that if Doom wasn't in the picture. Um, well, there's Kevl. no, there's no great uh, debate happening between Reed and Doom. There's no, it there's starts, no real ideas like being being uh, it's, explored. Well, like they, it, they, it, they, he they, basically they, becomes like super evil and wants to destroy everything. That's a they, good point. No, Eric, they start, they start that though. Like he's at it for the fame. Like he wants to do it for fame, and right. Reed just wants to sure. You know, make and that's a, a good Doom Reed thing, but yeah, but they don't. They, it doesn't. Once there's he no turns impact to evil, yeah. he's just like a demon. Like he's yeah. like, there's well, not, he just, he despises Reed because Reed solved the puzzle. That's why, right. sure. you know, Reggie Cathy's like, you know, yeah. you figured it out. And then he's putting the moves on Sue, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's there, that but it doesn't right. But yeah, Kebble yeah. doesn't, doesn't do anything with this. Like I said, I think miles Teller is trying to act against Kebble. Kebble's not really giving him a whole lot to, that's good to work with. Um, so I, I put all of that interaction on Kebble as his fault out of the gate, not Trank or anybody else. He's just terrible. I think it's the script. I think it's the script to be, perfectly I, it's honest. there. They, they, even Kebble's like, uh, pulls him aside and says, Hey, I saw what you're doing. That's kind of unprofessional. Um, and that, that yeah, it's way, like they were setting it up, but it doesn't really come up later in any way. And so his delivery is terrible. I, I don't know why I have it in for Kebble. It's just <laughs> this guy <laughs> hates yeah. Kebble. I, I do he not. Hates I don't so like it. Um, but OK, 45 minute mark. They get their powers. You're like, OK, we got here, right? 45 minutes of backstory, character development. Boom. Body horror. Awesome. We got yeah, 55 minutes right there. Yeah, we got 55 minutes left in this thing. Where are they going to go with this? Because where we're at right now, I'm all in, right? Um, for the next 33 minutes, that one year turn time, you get to see uh, the Fantastic Four pout and work for the military for 33 minutes. 
And oh my God, is that 33 minutes? I don't know what, you know, purgatory is like in the afterlife, but I got, <laughs> I have to imagine we get a taste of it sim- cinematically within these 33 minutes. It, it's tough to get through quite honestly. Um, and then at the what one, circle, what circle of hell was it? Like seven, probably the seven. It's the fourth for fantastic okay. four. Is that okay. 33 minutes? Oh, right? Damn it. God yeah. damn it. I missed it. Yeah. So <laughs> at the one hour and 18 minute mark, now you get the fantastic four versus doom. And you go, 22 minutes left in the film. Oh, my God, Doom is blowing people's heads up. This is scanners all over. We went from this is a Cronenberg. Like, he's pulling Cronenberg heavy in this one. And I'm loving it, right? I am I automatically yeah, forgot good. about the 33 minutes. I'm like, cool. He's walking around. People are dying left and right. Uh, and then you, you go back to Planet Zero, and there's explosions and rocks flying and flying debris, cars, people, lots of fire. I have no fucking idea what's going on. I don't even it's know very, how they it's beat very him. Dark. Yeah, yeah. Um, they pushed him into the light. They come or together. They come together. I know they come together and they they like pushed him into the beam or something, and that and then she yeah, did they her. dropped the ring down on his head. But the you know it's it's not fair to pick on the 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 ending ending because so many of the of our favorite films end that way, right? Our favorite they do comic and- book films. But here's the thing: you talked about uh, you, you talked about doom and, and read and like some of the stuff set up but and you talk about doom and how he's his vanity right yeah. obviously doom's all about vanity he's about uh you know he is the most he's a narcissist so you know this is a, so uh it doesn't make sense for me that doom would just want to destroy everything like he he wants to control everything right? yeah. like i don't know i feel like a doom should want to be the leader of the he should be a conqueror not a destroyer he doesn't want to no it does because i think one of the interesting things about doom in this version of it doom wants to destroy everything to where he's the only one left uh in his world and it's like okay that doesn't necessarily feel doom like in terms of the the canon but i'm i'm cool with that if you're if you've been marooned on uh, planet zero for a year, whatever it is. And your, your suit melted to your body and you just go insane. And sure. to this point you're going, man, I just want to annihilate everything you you have. But this is where you have to separate the character because that seems like a good motivation for a character in a movie. I, I agree. Uh, they but just, when you, when you yeah. are attaching it to an existing character like doom, it feels a little off. I see what you're saying. Being the only person. I, yeah. I thought the whole point was that he, I thought the whole point was that he was going to destroy the earth and then sort of like open up planet zero to become earth. And then he would rule that way. I think he was going to rule that earth, that planet zero. I don't know. I don't know how, what he would do with it. If he would just, yeah, it didn't seem like you could see things being sucked into the light. Yeah. But I don't know if people can go by them. I I don't know. Who knows? I, I, it looked destructive to me. I, it looked yeah. like it was going to kill everybody. It looked. It was a world-ending event, right? Some destruction was going and, on. And it's so weird because when they bring the character back through the portal, they're like, Victor, and he's hobbling around. He comes in, <laughs> and they let him poke and prod you know, for a little bit, and then all of a sudden a, a, just a switch goes off in him, and he's like, well, everybody's going to die. And then he just walks around killing everybody. So, again, Kebble, you suck. Um, that oh, performance was terrible. Toby, I love you. Um, but I, I again, I still enjoyed that that sequence, that last yeah. uh, twenty two minutes, 
I, I think there's some interesting things in there when it just kind of switches back into that horror element. To me, the, the worst part of this film is that 33 minutes of the pouting and working with the military. Uh, but there's a lot of there. I, I look at it this way. There's three parts to the film, right? You get the, the setup um, before they become the fantastic four. Then the second portion, when they become the fantastic four, including the military and then maybe the third chapter is, okay, now Doom's back in the scene, and you get the, the final showdown. In each one of those, there's probably anywhere from 10 to 20-some-odd minutes of really interesting, good material in it. But it doesn't all gel between those three. Meaning, if you were to, if you were to just take out that middle section of the 33 minutes, and you were left with the beginning and the end, I still don't think it works. Like there's, there's good well, it stuff. It makes sense with all the, that it would be fragmented with all the different rewrites and everything. Yeah, absolutely. It, and I, I don't, I don't know what it is. Like I don't, um, there's so much potential well, here, but I can't tell if it's the studio also, interference in a world. When you have Avengers, you have the MCU being built and things are connected. You're you, you, like you said, these are young people. You got to be thinking sequels. Are you going to off doom? Like, right. In, at the, I mean, obviously doom could have survived, but it just, I think it also suffers from the fact that it's another origin story. Like it is. And, that you know, was going to be my next point. Mo- that was movies like, point. yeah, movies like, uh, you know, like the Tom Holland Spider-Man movie or the, the new Batman. They've said, listen, people have seen enough origin. You can do a quick flashback if you need to. That's why I was saying I like the flashbacks. I'd like to see a Fantastic Four film where they're already the Fantastic Four. They already have kids. That's the biggest <laughs> thing for me. I want. Franklin, at least Franklin. You want Herbie? <laughs> I want Herbie. No, I do Herbie. want Herbie. Now I no do Herbie. Yes, and 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 I want Franklin because Reed and Sue need to be a mom and dad. That's that's where this is. That's where the magic is. And then you have the complication of Doom in there. If you bring Valeria in, uh, you that that gets. Really I I would be okay with that, but I like. But you what... could have you could have flashbacks explaining how they got here as parents, you know, a la the Incredibles where you see them in their younger days, but we don't need another, just, you know, you know. It, we could, if, Corey, if they, if they went and, and I'm sorry, I, I just want to make this point. I'm okay with this as an origin story. If they had embraced all of the horror elements to it, if, and I think Trank was trying to get that done. But again, my biggest question is, I don't know if it's studio interference or Josh Trank just doesn't have what it takes to navigate the studio and complex material. I think the elements where it feels Trank-ish are the highlights of the film. Yeah, you're um, probably right. Yeah. And and here's the thing. I mean, I'm I'm crapping all over Toby Kebbell. I I don't think it's <laughs> you are. <laughs> I am. You are. I don't. Th- I'm not a fan of him for, for doom just because doom. I, I love that character and everything. It's about it. I also don't think Kebble had a chance in the back half to make the things that he was doing in the front half pay off. Mm-hmm. So Agreed. I, again, I don't think he was great in the first part of the film. However, I also think it could also be not his fault because there was nothing in the back half to kind of call to his performance in the first to kind of bring it home. He could have been a fantastic yeah. Victor Von Doom if he didn't just show up in the last 22 minutes ago. I'm going to blow things up. Do you think this movie, do you think they, when they were finishing wrapping this thing up, they were thinking, 
we're not going to be making a sequel to this. Let's not even try I, to They didn't it. have an end. I mean, that's clear. They green- <laughs> so af- after the movie was completed, they actually greenlit a sequel that was to debut two years after this film. And it was quickly canned after the bad reception. It made $25 million its first weekend. Yeah. Troy, and, and am I, are we the only ones that have saw the, the New Mutants? Yeah. Has anyone else seen the Mutants? I've seen oh, I new saw mutants. it. Okay. I dug so it. It's basically these two movies like work in parallel because New Mutants was kind of sold as like a horror movie yeah. and then got changed up. And like you're seeing these two development or three yeah. or four or five <laughs> different visions of what this movie is going to be. Yeah. cobbled together to try to make one cohesive story and you're looking at both of those and you're like there's parts in here that i like along the way but as a whole from beginning to end it is just an absolute mess and i think this is just i can't get past the fact that this is just a messy movie that has got elements that i like but again it's just fighting me the whole way for me not to like it yeah, yeah I- it doesn't seem like it's it- I mean, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of good people here doing some good things. It's just and with New Mutants, I I mean, I like New Mutants more than this one. I actually think New Mutants is a good film because I feel like more of that director stuff made it to the final version. So I I think there's you can clearly see a battle in New Mutants. And I, I think it, that's a ed- great comparison too. It uh, is. And and I think it edges it out because most of the director stuff ends up in the final product, at least from, or let me put it, not the director, most of a final vision ends up in, in something with the new mutants. Now you, it could be studio, could be director. I don't know, but I feel like there's a better thorough line through that film. Whereas this one, I see that line. It looks very much like the, the Trank stuff right there but it didn't win out amongst the chaos the way i think the new new mutants does in my opinion mm-hmm. um so my point i was gonna say uh kinberg kinberg also produced the new mutants i'm guessing he learned a lot of lessons from this yeah and and decided to make the new mutants and maybe make it a little more of a third a through line um but my point was going to be just how origin movies are i mean they're just they're terrible. I, I really want people to stop doing um, origin movies because, you know, most of us are going to know it. And like you said, Troy, in the Punisher episode, the way that they they did the Dolph Lundgren one, rather than just going chronologically and doing an origin story that way, they dropped you in the middle of the action. You get the flashbacks about his origin and then they just continue through. Right. Um, you know, for me, uh, the reason why origin movies kind of suck is because you know, you're already there with the expectation of where they're going to go in terms of point B, point C. And so it's a waiting game. And it's the same reason why uh, Singer's X-Men, the first one, and Men in Black, while they are great entertaining movies, they just felt like good intros. I was waiting for a sequel where, you know, everything's all set up and they can just go whole hog and crazy. Now, granted, story gave us Rise of the Silver Surfer, which, Brad, I know you... (laughs) You detest. (laughs) Um, But I got to tell you, that was a massive improvement over the first movie. I mean, they really they really hit their stride with uh, Rise of the Silver Surfer. And I really wish there would have been a third movie. I like the first one. I I don't I guess I don't have a problem with some of the origin story. The problem or elements I have with the origin story is and, and a great example here is I don't 
I don't want to know where Ben Grimm got clobbering time. Like I could care less about that. <laughs> so I don't want an origin story that gives me the detail of, Oh, do you know where you got this catchphrase? Don't care. I like the origin. Yeah. From Chet. From Chet. From Chet. Yeah. I like the origin <laughs> story that just says, let's see the development of the characters. And again, the doom stuff, the doom versus Reed Richards there's things at play in the beginning of the film in terms of animosity over who's the smartest and animosity over um, who's going to get Sue. And so I think the reason why I really don't um, like Toby's performance is I feel like he didn't finish it. But again, I don't think that's his fault. Meaning there's a setup in the beginning where he's got animosity in these two points and they don't do anything with that in the back half when he comes back to it. So while I call him terrible and all these bad things at, at, you know, that's hyperbole at the end of the day, I would go, okay, Toby just put in a bad performance, walking it back. I, I, I had so much respect for you for sticking with your guns. Now you're walking it back. I can be hyperbolic, uh, (laughs) but I, I still don't like it. I don't like what he does in the beginning, but I would also say from a realistic perspective, I I'm, I'm going to say, I don't like what he does because there's nothing, nothing. He doesn't give anything at the back end of it. I don't know if that's the yeah, script. Yeah, I don't nothing know. To give. Yeah. He, I, Actually, yeah. There should be an argument. Look at, look at, look at Xavier and Magneto. Yeah. And how they are, they have such this like ideological difference, right? And how complex and how great that relationship is. I mean, it fuels so much in those movies so wonderfully that's the kind of thing you need between reed and doom and if they're going to be teenagers that's fine too they can they can still have different ideals different perspectives on on morals or whatever and let them that's where that's where it gets interesting and juicy to me i agree yep actually one of the i can oh god i was gonna say one of the i think i didn't love the new dr strange movie I think one of the benefits that it, it could bring to us is just eliminating the origin story, right? Cause you're just pulling other characters in. They're just, they just came from somewhere else and that's who they are now here now. Uh, well, go. yeah. I mean, I, I hope that they would just pull in the fantastic four from another dimension. I yeah, and they're just like, already oh, formed full family powers, whatever we can have some flashbacks. If you want to explain how that they got there, but give me just the whole fam. Just yep. plop them right in. Actually, I have an Jose, easier way. <laughs> if um, if well, one, I can explain the through line for Doctor Doom. But to my point, from what you guys were just saying, I think an easier Kevin Feige, if you're listening, I have <laughs> and an we idea. Know you for are. You. Yes. Well, and Toby we turned off are. like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> By the He's way, a big for, Toby Cabell fan. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, for the record, Kevin Feige was one of the producers on the Tim Story Fantastic Fours and um, or for both of them. And to hear him commenting about it, he really does think about that. And I think he used that experience to then do the MCU. So, Kevin Feige, if you're listening, I think the way to do this is there is comic book precedent for the fact that um, uh, Mr. Fantastic and Invisible Woman actually left the Fantastic Four to raise Franklin and their kids and then they ended up in the Avengers. So there is precedent for that. I think the best way to introduce the Fantastic Four is to have Reed and Sue on an Avengers movie and then just connect it with a full-blown Fantastic Four movie where they come back from their Avengers whatever 
right? And then it's it's their standalone movie. I think that's a good way to do it. Mm. They've been anyway. on, they've been off. They've been off raising their kid and they're back. Yes. Yeah. And then they come I like back. that. So so the yeah, they've always Doctor- been there. They they need to have always been there somehow. I agree. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. We can't just start with some teenage Fantastic Fours in the MCU. Mm, they man, can't man. hang out with Tom Holland and go to right. get coffee and shit. Like, yeah, I don't, we, I don't, need, like, I don't want to see W young Avengers, yeah. fantastic four thing. No, yeah. no, thank you. And then I was going to say, I, I think I can. So remember how I said that it's all in broad strokes, basically mm-hmm. that they've painted this movie. I can explain the through line for Dr. Doom. So at first when Frank, Dr. Franklin goes to visit Dr. Doom, do you remember? Yep. Right. He's or, or Victor Doom. He's in his apartment and it's a complete shithole. He's a hoarder. He's like sitting there. He's in fact, this is the other thing. Most of the day on 4chan. What's not what's exactly. Um, (laughs) But this is the other through line about why I guess he has telekinetic powers. He had something on his like head that he had or whatever. If you noticed, he opened glasses or something. Yeah. Well, he opened doors and he closed the window using just that. He never he never like touches a button or anything like that. Yeah, so I right. think that's where the, the telekinesis comes from. But he was ready to give it up. He couldn't crack that that problem. And that's why he goes back to him. But he was ready to just pack it up, be a hoarder, be a dirty, disgusting scientist guy and just like die, right? So I think that when he becomes Doom, he's like, well, none of this was worth it anyway. Reed fucked it all up and then he was going to take Sue. So I'm just going to destroy everybody because that's where I was headed anyway. Right. Yeah, but... Yeah. I, I shouldn't have to assume that. I I need something. No, I think I, but I think it's there. I think it's there. If you look at that scene and then you look how he's like, let's end it all. It's not there. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> well, it, it, again, it's missing. It's that, missing that something like to tie it together. Motivation for yeah. another character, another yeah. suicidal character. Doom does not strike me as a suicidal character maybe he has at some point and i don't I haven't read he every could comic. he could this if is there... a this is a guy that like willed himself to not die yeah I, like yeah. A, right at some what was that secret wars or something yeah he like he like his will would not allow him to die that's how like crazy this dude is but i'm okay if well, they go in a different a direction anyways so. yeah I, exactly they're... i mean the guy is like just he seems like a survivor to me i i it's just that he just wants to destroy everything just seems strange even when he's gotten godlike powers he didn't destroy everything he made a, a kingdom for himself to yeah. rule over uh so i i you know again it's hard when you have a teenager maybe that's that's what teenage doom is like you know when he grew up he got a little more <laughs> you know <laughs> i don't know where this hair is coming from and you know, now i want to kill emo everything in his teen years and <laughs> you know wanted to destroy everything but as he got older he realized he wanted to rule everything so I, yeah, life is sunny i think i think it comes down to this like if you uh if there is something missing so you get this one year with the fantastic four and they go well ben Grimm's now hardened sue's just trying to get her force field down and you know johnny storms leaned into being you know the military star brat where's doom thing that got him from point a to point b like he just he That's dies. We don't, we don't see anything that happens. And then he comes back and he's going to kill anything. Just some monologue, something that give would have connected some, the dots. Yeah, give us some castaway like survival scenes of him trying to survive on the anything. Just give us anything. And I think that's where if if Toby's performance was good <laughs> enough, he may have been able to deliver that subtly in some fashion to do a through line. But some I, heavy lifting. Yeah. yeah. But it, look, he didn't have material to get it there. 
And so if he's like, well, I'm just going to read the lines and just go with it. That's all he did, man. I mean, but I had a little plot question. Okay. Maybe you guys can answer this for me. When Reed runs away from the facility, Mm -hmm. he escapes the facility on foot. Mm -hmm. Okay. With no shirt, right? No, he's naked. Is he okay. full on naked or did okay. he have like a diaper on? I mean, there he's, are no those. No, he's full on nudity. naked. Okay. So full. I'm going to trust uh, Jose weapon, on this. Full yeah. weapon X. Run yes. away yes. naked in winter. Got it. Uh, so because <laughs> <laughs> this movie wants to be the X-Men, but um, he's he's uh, in his shed or whatever. And he's seems to be looking for Ben. Right. He's like tr- tracking Ben, he, trying he to find Ben. But didn't he just leave the facility yeah. that they've he been in know for where, the past year? He should know where he was. Yeah. Shouldn't be hard to find him, right? I, I don't know. I, it, it was like, what are you working on? He, I thought he'd be working on something like a plan to like save him, or it I, just seemed like he was looking for him. Yeah, I'll he say left this because he couldn't. Fa- he left because he couldn't face them. He blamed himself for all. Well, of we know it. why he left, but why is he yeah. knows where they are? Well, I mean, if you well, he knows yeah, where they he, are, but he why also track wanted, them I, if you don't want to see them. I well, I think he wanted to squire Ben away and be like. I think he wanted Forgive to come me. back with a, a solution before he visited yeah. them. So he's doing it out of guilt. I mean, that's the thing with Reed or, or part of his backstory is, you know, he feels that he's carrying the weight of, hey, everything happened because of him. Sure. So he wants to fix it. So I think. Sure. There, and there's lots there's lots of great stuff in the comics about him trying to help. Yeah. Ben get to be human again. And th- and that's part of what makes Ben so compelling is a sort of sad story of, of his situation. But so beast in, in, in the thing are kind of one in this, not one in the same, that's kind of doing too much, but both of them, you know, change their outward appearance. Um, right. And if, if, if beast was stuck in beast form all the time. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Okay. I, I'll say this, that sequence where they finally, um, track down Reed and they're trying to shoot tranquilizers and he's punching everybody. I thought it was awesome. Like, I think that's the best version of Mr. Fantastic's powers in action. I got really excited seeing that sequence thinking, okay, we're going to have some cool stuff in the final battle showdown. Um, and he does some, some interesting things, but man, that, that gives me hope. Like they could use Reed Richards and, uh, that stretching ability in a really good creative action sequence, just based Elastigirl, on Elastigirl, dude. That, yeah. that, yeah. yes. They've already done it amazingly, and it's Elastigirl in two movies. Yes, oh, uh, you're right. You're I right. need parachute read. I need, <laughs> get, you know, slipping under doors, opening doors, all that good stuff. I mean, that, you know, all that stuff with her stretching, that sequence. Of, that's all the best stuff. I agree. I, it can be done. I think these are the best stretching effects out of all of the fantastic four movies. Sure, yeah, definitely. That's been a difficult thing to do in live action for sure. <laughs> Since you uh, say the that. Corman one disgusting. <laughs> Can, all right, that's where I want to go real quick. Did before we before we make a decision on this film, I just I just want to ask a quick question. Did anybody this week go back and watch the Corman film? Absolutely. So <laughs> I did, and I was mortified. Did you, oh, Eric? It's so awesome! It's so awesome. I I have never watched that start to finish. I've oh boy, chunks it's on, of it. But it's on YouTube. The whole thing is it yeah. on YouTube. It you got to watch it. Cringe worthy. It is awful. You it's have to watch that, awesome. and, and then turn around and watch the fantastic <laughs> documentary "Doomed: um, The Making of the Fan." So, oh, okay. I, here's the thing: that film, I I enjoy the hell out of it. <laughs> 
I love it, it is so there there is a charm there oh, is a charm God, to yeah, it, there but is. the stretching effects are the spaghetti arm the at the most... very end waving out of the limo as he's look uh, when he when he stretches amazing. his leg to trip like five doom go- i'm cracking oh up oh my god so, the that stretch effects nuts. are hilarious right hilarious it's like a pole with like clothes and i don't know if this is true i it's think like I, those things, it's like the freddy the... krueger arms yeah right? yeah, yeah. Exactly. Down the yeah. Yep. i i think i think i'd read this um i i actually like the thing makeup in the corman and oh I, no! Oh no! No! Go back and look at some of the old Fantastic Four comics. They it's pretty good. And I had heard—I don't know if this is true—that they used the Toxic Avenger. They reappropriated the Toxic Avenger outfit in order to make um, the Thing outfit. Which well, I think they, that makes sense because wasn't it going to be a trauma film at one point? In I time? don't know, but I remember in Toxic Avenger, you'd have these it's hydraulics right, yeah, that move things on the skin and stuff. So I think there are things within the the thing blocks move. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I just pulled that up, and he does look good. I honestly, it looks. I'm I'm sure the facial animatronics yes. aren't great and that kind of stuff. They're they're not bad. He almost I, I think he looks, looks good. as good as Michael Chiklis. Does. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure the face isn't as emotive. If you go back and, and look at some the of the body, looks pretty good. Yeah, look at the older issues of Fantastic Four. I think and he's they got nailed the, big the thing. Brow, which yes, is great. Yep. Yeah, the big thing. Yeah. Brow. I don't know. I think he looks like special Ed thing. And by the way, <laughs> the actor that the actor that played that guy, like. Can I just tell you, I, that guy is the definite, there's a French term called Jolie Lad, which is, it's, it's roughly translated as ugly, beautiful. That actor, Jolie Lad, ugly, beautiful. Like he's not an attractive guy. And yet I was like, Wait a come do your thing for me. Like, I, I don't know. It was weird. He was, I don't know. Anyway, uh, and I, I kind of like the Doctor Doom costume in that as well. It, yeah, yeah, I was just about good. to say uh, he's got the mask down. Though the guy that plays Doctor Doom was forty-seven years old, and he is not in college. Come on, man! No, no, God, no. It's 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 weird how it starts because Reed Richard is in college, and Sue mm-hmm. Storm is like twelve, and she has a crush on him, and then they're like ten years later. That was creepy. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's some creepy <laughs> elements to it, but. I'm telling you, folks, uh, oh, you got to watch it. <laughs> just... yeah, there's, an, there's an HD version on you on YouTube. It's the whole yeah. hour and 30 minutes. It's it's worth watching. And then if you watch the, a... the doomed uh, documentary, I have I bought a bootleg copy as well. But yeah, if I you don't want to go down that road. It's literally available right now. So, yeah, it's it's definitely one to kind of um, if, if you if it's you something. like comic books and you like comic book movies, I think you just have to mark that one off the list and watch it with some friends. It's, I feel like it's very, I don't know. It's, it's a Roger Corman film. It has that sort of Canon feel to it. It's super cheesy, uh, but there's charm to it. And then definitely watch the documentary about the making of it. It It is crazy. I mean, to think that they're going to make a film knowing they're never going to release it just so they can hold the rights. And then the company <laughs> to come back and go, well, look, not only are we going to buy the rights back from you, but we're going to give you money so you never release that film. That is yeah. awesome. Avi Arad bought all of the copies and destroyed them. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> Such a good story. But go, yeah, go. If you like the Fantastic just, dude, if you like comic books, comic book movies, you have to check it out. I, I just can't say that enough. <laughs> um, so let's, let's get to the question here. I'm going to start with you, Eric. We just got done uh, talking about another iteration of the Fantastic Four. This one by director Josh Trank. Is the 2015 Fantastic Four a bomb? 
I really gave it a fair shake. I, I feel like I did. Uh, it, yeah, it's a bomb. It's a bomb. People didn't resonate with it for a reason. I think we've explored those reasons thoroughly. Okay. I think it, it, it fared about as it, what it deserved. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, Jose, I'm going to go over to you. Um, you, you provided some interesting thoughts on this that, uh, I kind of thought you were just going to gush over it, but I think, I think you have a really good critical response to this thing, but I'm really curious where you're going to land on this is 2015 is a fantastic four bomb. It is not a bomb. Okay. I think it's misunderstood. I think it's shit. I think it's, uh, a, a new sort of like way of looking at the material. And, uh, I don't think it's a bomb. Okay. Jose, I love that take. I've, I've loved your counterpoints through this whole conversation, by the way. I do. I, I oh, agree with stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I do. Um, yeah, okay. I love, I love having my ideas challenged. I love when someone talks me out of a, a criticism, which you have in a couple of spots. So that's good stuff. All right. All right, Brad. Thank I think you. I know where you're going to land on this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Fantastic Four for me is 0 for 3. I'd rather watch the Roger Corman over any of the other. Wow. So, oh. oh, wow. I, Just because wow. it's so fun. It's so I like all three of those. No. Um, that Silver Surfer one is. Oh, you're so. But it was so that. cool to see the Silver Surfer. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. We need these guys in the proper MCU stat. By, yeah. by the way, yet another movie where Doug Jones doesn't get to use his own voice. Yep. Makes me crazy. Oh, man. Poor <laughs> Doug Jones. <laughs> I know. Well, but if you're going to be dubbed, I mean, come on. Was it Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne? Fishburn? Yeah. I know. There's there's worse. They could have had Toby Kebbell. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so I really like the horror elements in this. There are some things in this version of Fantastic Four I think they knock out of the ballpark. Uh, and I would say I think all of the the Josh Trank stuff that's in here is really fantastic. It is It is so good. Then the question comes down, is Toby Kebbell – in that mid 33 minutes, is it going to really take away from the highs that I think this film hits in a lot of other areas? And I'm going to say, not exactly. I, Don't waffle. Don't waffle. I'm, Make a stand. I'm going to say this. <laughs> if, if I liked the new mutants and where it ended up, then this is a this is not new mutants for me, but there's enough here that I would give this one a pass. As much as I hate Toby Kebble, and I really find that 33 minute section in the military not so great, except for the the you know Mr. Fantastic dodging the tranks. I'm I'm gonna say it's not a bomb um, because I really like the horror elements <laughs> in this. Decision. I really really dig the horror elements in this thing. I think they're really good. I, I love that. I love that couple of minutes of the film as well. I, I, I really enjoyed, <laughs> I really enjoyed the setup of these characters. I, I just don't think they do anything with Victor Von Doom. They don't do a setup. Um, I love the special effects of, uh, the thing, Johnny storm. I, I like what they did with doom. I kind of like playing at zero when the green stuff starts coming. Um, I think it's a mess. I really do. But like I said, with new mutants, it's a mess, but I I think there's enough there to like now 
give it a couple more shows and uh, maybe Toby gets on my nerves too much in that 33 <laughs> minutes feels like visual NyQuil. I might change my mind, but I'm going to, I'm going to side with Jose on this one. Barely, just barely. Well, I, I think the listeners, it, I think the listeners need to write in and be like, here's where we fall on fantastic fan four stick. Fan yeah. four stick. Anyway. <laughs> I, I, I will say though, you know, talking about learning about for, for me, learning about, how the production went in and the, some of the elements that I did like were Trank elements. I'm curious to go see Chronicle now uh, since I haven't seen it. I, I like Chronicle oh, quite a bit. So, yeah. Chronicle is masterful. If Ooh, you can put up I with Dane DeHaan for a while. I, yeah, I, can I love Dane DeHaan. I think Dane DeHaan actually. Why doesn't that surprise me? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I love him. He's, he's actually really good in that. It's, it's kind of the element of Victor Von Doom you were kind of hoping to see in here. It kind of mm. comes through a little bit in Chronicle. A little more diabolical, maybe. Now, hopefully. If Dane DeHaan was Victor Von Doom in this movie, it might have been a lot better. I, I agree. Uh, but I still think it would have suffered that same problem is that towards the end of it, what is going to be that connective tissue to take? Because Doom just comes back and is just popping people's heads. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa slow down. What happened? Um, it's missing that element kind of thing. They just, they did doom wrong in this one big time. They did. They never get them right. Well, somehow, I it's think not, this somehow it's is, not a bomb. I don't know. They mess well, up one of the greatest characters in comic book I, I think doom and, needs to be a, like a Thanos that is built over multiple films, a big bad. If you're talking about bringing them into Marvel, don't do it in one movie. I, you know, yeah. have doom. Don't even have doom be the, like, you, like, talking about mole man like shit make mole man i like <laughs> i seriously like i doom needs to be built to establish doom get let him whatever let him start his own country let him get let varia going make a whole damn war you know i mean he has to be built he's too big to to sum up in in the in such a small time sharing that's the other thing sharing with four other people you got you know in one movie, you need more time to develop Doom out. I, I agree. I, I love I love the casting that they've done so far with one of the members. Um, trying to stay away from spoilers since Doctor Strange Assuming just that hit is, Disney Plus. Assuming that is the person that's going to carry forward, I think that's a fantastic choice. Now the question is, uh, who are you going to get to be a good counterpart to that? Reed Richards. So we'll see. By the way, Tim Blake Nelson is on record saying that when he was originally hired, he was supposed to be the Mole Man. And then the scripts changed and he they changed his name. <laughs> Script changed. They changed his name. His name is now Harvey Elder or something like that. But he was originally cast to be the Mole Man. Yeah, that sounds about how this uh, film went down. <laughs> um, a good Mole Man. Also, also, may I just for a few minutes read something that I cobbled together? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, so you know how um, is Sue Storm is like. No, 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 no. Manifesto. No. Okay. So, um, Damn it! I got excited. You know how there. Sue Storm? You know how Sue Storm was like? I see patterns. Yeah, yeah. Right. And listen so when to I was researching, mm-hmm. yes, and Portishead. No, right? no one listens to Portishead. Excuse me. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> you wow. know, actually, you know, this is a weird story. Do you know how I? Do you know how I ended up actually listening to Portishead? I heard that um, gorgeous actress, Canadian actress, what's her name? Damn it. I think her name is like Mia something or other. Anyway, she was in The Crow 2. And she said that she like set the mood for her gothic character by just listening to Portishead all day on set. 
That's a and good, so I was like, good idea. Hmm, That'll make yeah. you go. Let me listen to Portishead. And I love it. Okay. So Sue Storm says she sees patterns. When I was researching this film, I saw patterns when I was looking through everybody's history. So here we go. There's a weird Pennsylvania connection between the cast and crew. Several of the actors, the two young kids um, and Miles Teller are from Pennsylvania. So the two kids are from Philadelphia. Miles Teller uh, was born in Pennsylvania, but moved to Florida. One of the producers, Hutch Parker, is also from Philadelphia. And additionally, the father, Mr. Richards, uh, Mr. Richards was played by Tim Heidecker of Tim and uh, Eric's Secret Show or Great Show, whatever. He's also from Philadelphia. I found out that a lot of these people shared the screen as well. So there's those patterns. Uh, Michael B. Jordan and Bell were in Without Remorse, the uh, Tom Clancy movie on Amazon Prime. Uh, Jordan and Teller were both in That Awkward Moment, which is a, a movie that is on both of their resumes. Jamie Bell was in Jumper, which was produced by Simon Kinberg. He's also featured in Rocket Man, which was produced by Matthew Vaughn. Reg E. Kathy and Kate Mara were both in House of Cards, which was filmed in Baltimore. And Baltimore is the legendary setting for The Wire, which also featured Michael B. Jordan and Reg E. Kathy. R.I.P. Wallace. Kate Mara. Yes. <laughs> Kate Mara and Jamie Bell, well, they've certainly shared more. They are married and they have a child. Mara is also close friends with Elliot Page. They did a movie together and they're very, they're like best friends. Pages on Umbrella Academy, which is produced by Jeremy Slater, <laughs> helped to write some of this. Tim Blake Nelson and Miles Teller are both Russian. Uh, they both have Russian Jewish uh, lineage in their family. And Nelson has also shared the screen with Michael B. in uh, Just Mercy, uh, which is a movie that Michael B. Jordan also produced. And then here's the big Marvel connections to all of this. Michael B. Jordan worked for Ryan Coogler who, uh, for Fruitvale, Fruitvale Station. And then he was in Black Panther, which Ryan Coogler directed. Strangely, Michael B. Jordan voiced Cyborg in the animated Justice League Flashpoint Paradox animated film for DC. Um, the previous Fantastic Four movie featured Chris Evans, who was the Human Torch, but then he also later became obviously Captain America. Reg E. Cathy has a Marvel connection. He played the estranged father of Luke Cage in the Netflix series. Tim Blake Nelson, as you mentioned before, was Samuel Stearns in the, um, I called it the Ed Norton directed, although it's Louis Leterrier, <laughs> the Incredible Hulk reboot for the MCU. Matthew Jensen was a second unit director for a film called Green Street Hooligans. And that was notable as the directing debut of one Lexi Alexander, who we know directed Punisher Warzone. Mm -hmm. Mike, Marco Beltrami scored, um, the Wolverine and Logan. So he has that Marvel connection. Seegers also did production design for X-Men First Class. And then stunt coordinators Brian and Greg Smurz and Jeff Dashnall for this film are involved in practically all of the X-Men and MCU Marvel movies. Patterns. I see patterns. <laughs> <laughs> I don't anyway, see how any of this has to a, do with Jackie Chan. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> There's a connection there. I know it. Yeah. I'm just missing it right now. Uh, but, yeah. yeah. But it's just weird how they're, they've all sort of like interconnected. It's you know, crazy to me. Weird. how I mean, just how many people will pop up in one comic book film in the same, uh, I guess, 
I don't know, studio or, you know, publishing, et cetera, playing different characters. Chris Evans is a great example. If you go back and look at how many times Chris Evans has been in a comic book movie, I mean, it's more than just um, yeah. the Marvel stuff. I mean, it's, it's kind of cool, but you know, same with all these guys. I'm just, I'm excited to be a comic book fan and to live in, you know, today's oh, world. Yeah. Cause you're, you're seeing it all come to big screen and you have the luxury and the joy to go back and read the old stuff and then compare it and complain and talk with your friends and go, that's not a good Victor Von Doom. And, Monster I could have imagined okay. we'd yeah. see this stuff in live action. Oh, know, absolutely. Kids. I mean, if you go back um, yeah. to the 70s and 80s and Incredible Hulk, you know, TV show with Lou Ferrigno, that that was the height of it, right? So Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was actually one note I had, just we're kind of beyond this, but uh, any of us or, you know, most people growing up reading Fantastic Four, they, Sue and Reed were parents by that point. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like when we were growing up, they were already parents. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot of time of them. You know, the majority of their history, they've been parents. Just important I, to note, because that's the that's where the the real nostalgia comes from. Uh, you know, that's how we knew them, even though it wasn't always the case. Uh, unless you're, you know, reading from the 60s before they had kids. You know what I'm saying? Yep. No, I agree. I, it's, I've always loved that series, and I, I hope they do justice with it um, coming into it. Uh, so next week, Brad, no more comic books, right? <laughs> Apparently not. We'll, we'll be back to comic book world at some point in time. There's still a lot of bombs left. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it, actually, it's coming around the corner, too. Um, sort of a big one. But we're going to do something a little bit different. We're, we're going to do, I guess, a genre we don't really dip our toes into very often, and since it's my pick, I wanted to do something that uh, saw it in the theater, loved it immediately. It's something that I probably watch on an annual basis. Um, and I'm really curious because I don't know if you've seen this film. I have to assume you have. Um, but we're going to talk about Quigley Down Under next Ooh. week. <laughs> so I, I haven't so seen like... that since I was a kid, but I, I remember loving it. Oh, it's, it's an annual watch for me. Um, and I'm really curious to go back and visit it because I... I think it is a nice gateway drug to Westerns. If you, if you kind of go, Hey, I, I don't like that genre, et cetera. Uh, I think you should test the waters out and go watch Quigley down under. Um, it's Heck a yeah. fantastic Western adventure film. Um, and I think it'll surprise you. Plus nothing you get, says 4th of July, like Tom Selleck in the Western. <laughs> yeah. And Alan Rickman, Tom Selleck and chaps one, and Alan Rickman, one of Alan Rickman's <laughs> best performances. Uh, Brad, if somebody wants to break the tie, because we're split down on this week's Fantastic Four, how do they get a hold of us and share their thoughts on this film? Yeah, it's notabombpod at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, which is notabombpodcast.com. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Awesome. Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, VHS Files podcast, what's going on, what they can find. You've got not just a podcast, but you've got a pretty awesome, sweet little YouTube channel, too. Yeah, yeah, we've got uh, we've got the podcast on on uh, on your podcast providers uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, and we've got a YouTube channel uh, where we have our full episodes, and then we also have a a clip channel where we just put some shorter clips, little bite sized pieces on there. Um, you can follow us at uh, at VHS Files Podcast on social media places, and and uh, yeah, we review movies from our childhood from the VHS era, I'll say, and some newer ones occasionally when we feel like it. Uh, you do a lot of really fun. awesome top three lists. 
Top oh yeah, fours. we've got the top. top yeah, fours. we've got top, yeah. We've got some top four uh, lists we've been doing lately that are a lot of fun, and you know, uh, some examples: top four bathroom scenes. Stop. <laughs> That's top the four. one that I was about to mention that, <laughs> that was, I love. That was a great one. <laughs> that was a fun one. Uh, top four guns. Top four this. Top four that. Um, that episode, the top four guns, just it drove me nuts because at no point did anybody say Tom Cruise. I mean, you can't. You can't. <laughs> He's, he's the top gun. <laughs> you yeah. don't say Tom Cruise. I, yeah, that's actually true. technically that's true. he's never been top gun. Actually, Quigley Down Under was on my on my honorable mentions. I don't know if I said it in the episode or not, but he has a pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Gun, right? Yeah. Oh, he does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we have a lot of fun. And uh, so so if nobody's ever listened to or seen the what where should they start? Do they go from the beginning or do you have like a episode that you would just go start here? Like no, I would start on the YouTube uh, channel. We are for our first. I'm not sure how many episodes we were just audio, uh, but Josh, our host, uh, it's really his podcast. I'm just on it. And uh, he he is he does a lot of fun stuff on the YouTube channel. I would say start there. Start on the YouTube channel. Maybe check out some of the clips uh, to get an idea what the show's like. But uh, I'll say YouTube. I'll say the green room episode. Ooh, all right. Excellent. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. Goonies. I, I really like that one. Oh, yeah. That's the first episode. Yeah. Uh, that's way back. So, yeah. I like yeah. Legend of Billie Jean and the recent uh, uh, dissection or review of the Batman. Those oh, were cool. good episodes. Right on. Yeah. Thank you. It's a fun show. I, I love what you guys do. Um, thank you for doing it and keep the episodes going. Jose, Thanks. thank you. You guys have been super supportive. Uh, oh, we love it, it man. We, hey, yeah. we, we're on here championing things that we listen to and we like. So um, yeah. we love you guys. Yeah. Jose, thank, thank you. you. We, I know you're going to be coming back here uh, pretty soon, but I, I know you're super busy with all the stuff that's going uh, on at work and, and <laughs> all the movies that you're trying to watch. Uh, but yes, seriously, man, I, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule, coming to talk comic book movies with us. And I'm, I'm glad you like the Fantastic Four. I love being on the show. Thank you so much for having me again. And um, I think I'm starting the Toby Kebbell fan club. <laughs> Do not send me an invite. <laughs> uh, Brad, what else do we got to talk about? Uh, leave us a review if you can someplace. If you just happen to you know, like the sound of our voices and the topics we're talking about, go to your favorite podcast channel and uh, share the love. Um, what else? That's about it, buddy. All right. Well, again, Jose, Eric, thank you, uh, folks. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, afternoon, or evening. Thank you for downloading the episode. Come back next week. We're going to talk about a fun little movie called Quigley Down Under. I hope you had an awesome June and looking forward to an amazing July. <laughs> don't lose your head. <laughs> Fuck the Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. I-